on today's episode of Mile Higher. We dedicate this time to you and thank you for what you're going to do. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. When Bill was a preteen, he joined the Child Evangelism Fellowship. That's where he dedicated his life to Christ and began his mission. And the Duggars were big IBLP people. In fact, you could consider them the organization's 19 poster kids in county. Crying is a child's way of clearing his conscience. Central to teaching Bill's idea of authority was IBLP's authority umbrella. It definitely instills fear, for sure. And it's like, is it really good to rule by fear with your child? Lord, I ask that we might be able to be free, everyone, the influence of sin. 30 more women came forward with their similar stories. One victim was groomed and repeatedly told by Bill that her father didn't love her, but he did. Wear a smile. Your face reveals your inner attitudes, your needs, your joys, your struggle. You better not have anything else but a smile on your face if you're a woman. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 266. And today, we are going to be discussing Bill Gothard and his fundamental religious cult that you may never have heard of. Now, I certainly had no idea that this existed and had never heard of Bill before I watched the documentary Shiny Happy People on, what was it, Amazon Prime? Yeah, Prime Video. Pretty mind-blowing. Whack right? stuff, my friends. Um, pretty eye-opening to me. Um, and as soon as we started hearing more about Bill, we wanted to learn more and dive into this very creepy, disturbing world that all these people are part of. I don't know about you, but the first thing I started thinking of was L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology. There's yes. lots of, of parallels there Definitely. between those two um, so-called religions, you know, they don't class, they're not a cult, mm-hmm. you know, by what they say, they, you know, it's just a religious sect, but you'll see pretty quickly that. Oh, it's a cult, baby. It definitely fits all the criteria. Now, this documentary, Shiny Happy People, was also a lot about the Duggar family. Poster uh, children mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Bill. Many children. 19, wow. right? 19 kids. 19 kids and counting. You may have seen that show back in the day on TLC. Fits right into the TLC genre (laughs) of just... The learning channel. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. You just learn. Janelle was actually a big fan of the Duggars. Well, (laughs) I know that sounds (laughs) weird. She's a big fan of the family. (laughs) Well, as a kid, you were interested in them. I was obsessed with the show. I've watched pretty much the entire thing, especially growing up. I thought it was fascinating because their lives are vastly different than mine. Their upbringing, the way they do things, everything about them is so different. So I couldn't help but be fascinated by them. And yeah, I've pretty much seen all of it. Mm -hmm. And then once all this shit came out, which we'll get into, I was like, oh. She was such a fan. She can name all the kids by name. I used to be able to. I don't know if I can do it anymore, though. Let's get your best crack at it here. Here, I'll check your work. Yeah, check my work. I, I get lost by like kid 15. (laughs) <laughs> Josh, Jana, John, David, Jill, Jessa, Ginger, Joseph, Josiah, Joanna, Jedediah, Jeremiah, Jason, James, Jackson, Justin, something, something, Josie. See, Joanna, Jennifer, Jordan, Grace, and Josie. Thank you. Jordan, Grace? 
hyphen. Oh, her. Oh, okay. Okay. So they, at some point decided they have to have J names. Is that because the dad is Jim Bob? Jim motherfucking Bob. <laughs> but the mom's Michelle. She's the only M. Yeah. Yeah, that is strange mm. that they. They should have changed her name to Jamel. <laughs> No. The whole J thing is interesting. My my family's all J's too. So yeah. We're like the Duggar. So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> kind of like, you're the odd one out. I know. Yeah. Do you guys know what your names mean? Yes. Mine is an English name and it means like the hill or something, the old hill. <laughs> Over the hill. <laughs> is that what it really means? Ken Dahl. Yeah. Something the hill. Ken Hall. Mm-hmm. Well, name meanings are very, very important, weirdly important too. Uh, Valley of the Kings. Oh, maybe. Okay, that was my understanding of it, was the hill. Valley of the Kings. Okay. Close. A hill could be near a valley. So, I don't know. Joshua, yours, God is deliverance. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey. Yoshua. Yoshua. Yep. I used to call that Hebrew. I used to call Josh Yoshua all the time in high school. Mine is, oh, God is gracious, fair one. Thank you. Nice. Nice. (laughs) What about you, Julia? I believe my name means youthful. Let me look. That makes sense. Well, you are youthful. Oh, youthful of Jove's love child. Who's Jove? Oh, oh youthful like or Jove's right? child. I feel like youthful really fits you. Wow, you Roman names youthful. given to those born in the house young. of Julius Caesar. Damn. Huh. It's like royal. Almost. Well, you are the youngest one at Mile Higher. I am. That is true. I am. Well, anyway, I totally see how you were interested in the Duggar family. I feel like I could have easily. I feel like you would have loved it. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I've, I've always been two. interested in uh, sister wives. And yes. so I get I get the vibe, you know. Right. It's literally polar opposite from the way you two grew up. Right. Correct. So, of course, it's, it's going to seem like what? Like, holy shit, what's going on here? Yeah, I just had no idea how how um, whack these people really are. Hey, it is yeah. unreal. But um, it's crazy because on TV, they seem very like. We oh, yeah. put together. Gotta Everyone gets along. Damn, their kitchen is crazy. And when they go like grocery shopping, it, they have like oh, a Costco God. in their house. I bet. Yeah, it's insane. A warehouse pretty, pretty much. That's crazy. I just can't imagine the damage that having that many children would do to your body. Which like, is not extremely uncommon in the fundamentalist pain, a pain community sense, you know? to have a ton of children. Like it's not like they're the only family that's got a bunch of children. No, like of that. course it's, not. It's pretty. But they monetized it. Pretty popular. Yeah, I mean. They obviously they took the opportunity. And how long did that show run? I mean, twenty fifteen, I believe. When they started out, how many kids did they have? Um, I believe it was seventeen. Yeah, it started at oh. seventeen kids and counting. Then it went to eighteen kids and counting. Then it went to nineteen kids and counting. Ah. And they always wanted to get to twenty. They never did. She had a miscarriage. She had a mi- well. She's mm. had multiple miscarriages, but yeah, I think after her nineteenth kid, she did get pregnant one more time because I remember they like. Were no, actually, I think the show had ended by then. It got canceled by the time she got pregnant again. But I remember, mm. yeah, she ended up having a miscarriage. Yes. But. Well, the main reason they were canceled was because of Josh Duggar, correct? Yes. Yes, definitely. That is what a fucking true. freak this guy is. Um, I had never really known all the details about him. He is a, a, He's a fucking monster, menace man. to society. Yeah. Very scary. Um, you want to hear something crazy, though? I just looked at this random fact. So I was wondering, who has the most children in the world? This Russian woman and her husband allegedly hold the record for most children a couple has produced. She gave birth to a total of 69 children. Shut up. That's not real. 16 pairs of twins. 69? 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets between 1725 and 1765. A total of 27 births. Bro, ouch. 
Oh my god. 69. I can't even wrap my mind around that. No. And Ugh. back in the 1700s, and she was popping those suckers out and still survived. Yeah, that's Damn, wild. I still feel like I'm recovering from one. It's been a year. <laughs> how do you it's have so like, intense that like nine months? How do you have that many like childbearing years? I guess to be able to. She probably started when she was like, I don't know. Gotta have like could. They, they started having health, kids right? early back then. Like as once soon you hit as you like can. Yeah, yeah, as soon as you can, like 14, 15. Ooh, calculate the months of pregnancy. I calculated um. Michelle's, I can't remember the number, like 19 months times, or like 19 times nine. Well, technically, there's a lot of like, I mean, triplets and 16 uh, sets of twins. Ah, Woo! dude, I cannot imagine. But yeah, that's like probably what? It says like 20 years of pregnancy. <laughs> um, oh, at least, right? Michelle has been pregnant for 150 <laughs> months. Oh, my God. Over the of her says that's equal to 12 and a half years. I don't know if this is right. I just randomly found this. But the so the woman in Russia has to be over 20 years over of pregnancy. Over 20 years of pregnancy, yeah. Probably. Yeah. That's crazy. Someone do the math and leave us. They've got to have like nannies or something, right? Or I guess once they get old enough, well, then the older kids become the nannies. Well, that's exactly what yeah. it is. And that's that's partly what we'll talk about today. But yeah. again, we're getting off a bit of Sorry. where what the episode's actually about. Yeah, We're, we're going to be touching on the Duggars at the, the end. Duggers, yeah. But we're specifically focusing on this religious sect that they were majorly a part of and honestly really helped propel um, when it comes to numbers and attendance mm -hmm. and things like that. And that's mm -hmm. IBLP, Bill Gothard's Institute that he started that is still around today, Institute and Basic Life Principles, which is what we're going to be really focusing on and just all of the very controversial lessons that that they teach through this organization and a lot mm -hmm. of the scandals and, and that major hypocrisy hypocrisy oh God, sure, it's yeah. insane so and again this is a fundamentalist christian evangelical organization um you know this doesn't classify all christians this is a oh yeah separate sect the, you know like there's the disclaimer in here yeah you know i don't i don't want to upset peace and love to our christian, christian friends followers of course yes this is not very, all the same but Bill Gothard, man, it, he's a very, honestly, bizarre individual. Yeah, super creepy. He reminds me of, uh, like, a vampire or something. <laughs> so creepy looking. Well, and you really start wondering about what's what's the purpose behind all of this. Like, mm -hmm. did he really do this to for religious reasons? Or was there perhaps other more nefarious reasons for starting mm -hmm. this whole, whole organization? I would say so. And leading it, as we'll find out. And again... Tons of of crossover with Scientology when it comes to. I almost wonder if there's inspiration going on there between the two because there's just the parallels are uncanny. I mean, it's crazy. A big thank you to Zocdoc for sponsoring today's episode. A few months ago, I had a bit of a medical issue, and it was time for me to go see a doctor about it. But I haven't been to a doctor in probably like two years. So I don't even know who my actual primary care physician is. So I had to kind of start from ground zero. I moved to a new area, so I'm not familiar with any of the doctors around there. And so I turned to ZocDoc, the free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. I've used them in the past and have had nothing but good luck. And so that's exactly what I did. I popped open the ZocDoc app, typed in my zip code, typed in a general practitioner, and boom, I had a list of doctors who had high ratings actually, and 
available appointments because most of the time you know you hear about a doctor or somebody refers you to somebody and then you go and call their office and they're like oh yeah we're booked out for like three months and then you know you're kind of starting from square one again but with ZocDoc they eliminate all of that time and effort needed to find a doctor and find a good one fast we're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top rated patient review doctors and specialists you can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance which is always helpful are located near you and treat almost any condition you're searching for that's the other big thing too is nothing's more disappointing than finding a doctor you like you call them up and they're like yeah we don't take your insurance well zocdoc they make it super easy to find the perfect doctor for you these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients and not bots and the average wait time to see a doctor booked on zocdoc is between 24 and 48 hours that's it and once i got it booked i was set to go i even completed my paperwork online ahead of time so it was extremely easy effortless and honestly i actually really enjoyed my doctor's visit and they've actually become my new primary care physician going forward. Once you find the doc you want, you can book immediately with just a few app taps and there's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. If you're not using ZocDoc to book your appointments for anything health related, you need to try it today. Go to ZocDoc.com slash milehire and download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's zocdoccom slash milehire zocdoc.com slash mile higher let's go ahead and dive into the life of bill gothard jr also we want to give a little bit of a content warning here or a large content warning that this episode may be disturbing to some of you out there we're going to be talking about child abuse spiritual abuse child sexual abuse sexual abuse etc so just proceed with caution so let's start talking about william bill w gothard Jr., who was born November 2nd, 1934 in Hinsdale, Illinois, to his parents, William and Carmen Gothard, and he has five siblings. Bill came from a very religious family. His father was actually the executive director of Gideon's International, an evangelical Christian organization responsible for putting Bibles in hotel rooms. It's always funny to see the Bible in there to me. Like, why not have all the religious books? Well, you'd have to go to see who's running these these big corporations and stuff, and you'll see there's likely some connections there between these groups. Mm. But I don't think every hotel these days has a Bible. I think it's less common now. Yeah, I think it is becoming more and more really scarce to find. Like normally, I, I think a lot of like the the chains, like obviously mm-hmm. boutique hotels and stuff, they can do their own thing. But like the major chains, like I remember growing up going to like Motel 6 and Super 8s and absolutely a Gideon Bible in the nightstand because my mom would be like reading it in bed. (laughs) She really enjoyed that. Nice. Yep. Convenience. You don't have to pack your own. So his father worked with multiple different ministries. And when Bill was a preteen, he joined the Child Evangelism Fellowship. That's where he dedicated his life to Christ and began his mission. He wanted to help other teens and their families, quote, make wise choices whatever that means. Bill attended Wheaton College in the 50s, and he earned a degree in biblical studies, of course. And from there, he went on to attend grad school at Louisiana Baptist University, where he earned a degree in Christian education. His master's thesis was a youth education program focused on seven biblical non-optional principles of life. And this was how the Institute of Basic Life Principles, or IBLP, was born. But we'll get into that later. The seven principles are design, authority, responsibility, ownership, 
suffering, freedom, and success. In 1961, Bill founded his youth group, Campus Teams, which worked to help resolve issues between teens and their families. He worked with kids in inner city gangs, youth groups, and high school clubs. A few years later, he started giving seminars at Wheaton College, starting with his first seminar, Basic Youth Conflicts. From there, the seminars expanded, and Bill is drawing crowds as high as 20,000 attendees. It's a pretty big crowd. These seminars went over all sorts of different topics, but a lot of them were focused on parenting, Christian morals, and, of course, disciplining children. Participants started with a basic seminar, and this was a long, dense course presented over the span of multiple days. And from there, they moved on to the advanced seminar. The organization had training centers all over the country and even internationally. Bill was able to draw people in through his charisma and natural public speaking ability. His view of proper Christian moral values was uncompromising, straightforward, and socially conservative, and of course traditional, which for many people, especially in the 1960s, was a huge comfort and a draw. At times when society was changing quickly and significantly, people could take solace in the fact that Bill had the answers. And if you were following Bill's, I mean, God's teachings, you were doing the right thing. You were raising your family the right way. And by assuring that you and especially your children were living in a godly way, you helped ensure the rest of the world lived God-fearing lives too. In 1974, the program was renamed the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts, or IBYC. In 1989, since his ministry had grown so much, its name was changed again to the Institute in Basic Life Principles. Like we said, this whole thing is giving very much Scientology, especially with having like famous poster children, right? Scientology's got Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. Bill's got the Duggars, (laughs) all 19 of them. Amazing. Yep. Tom Cruise is rumored to have left the... Oh, really? Really? Is that the tea on the streets? Yeah. (laughs) I did not hear that one. The streets are saying Tom Cruise (laughs) Mm. loves Scientology. Wait, look it up. I got to know. Tom Cruise is cruised right out? Tom Cruise has reportedly quit Scientology. No fucking way. Tom Cruise has reportedly distanced himself from the Church of Scientology, possibly ending his lifelong standing affiliation. Oh, boy. Probably because he knows that the dominoes are starting to fall and he doesn't want to be be a part of that How, Where is you Shelley? can't leave that's the whole thing there's no leaving well, you're in that shit tom <laughs> janelle has spoken sorry tom you're in that shit i mean isn't that the whole thing is like you can't leave or well they tom, will make your life you a living can, hell or yeah they'll blackmail you but when you're tom you probably, he's probably gonna... got blackmail on them mm, yeah true yeah it's like what is he gonna he probably knows what happened to shelly miscavige right that's true anyway we're getting off topic Back to IBLP. Yes. So they had their headquarters in Bill's affluent hometown of Hinsdale, a Chicago suburb. The organization also bought another building in neighboring Oak Brook. And in the 90s, as their staff grew, IBLP purchased some houses and an apartment building as well in Oak Brook. The organization had gone far beyond youth issues, creating its own version of how people should live their lives in a detailed, quote, purity culture. IBLP training centers popped up all over the country, and soon, as they grew, the organization developed an international presence, and it all started with this basic seminar. The goal is, essentially, people come to these seminars and spread the word of Bill Gothard and IBLP's teachings 
back at their home churches. So IBLP wasn't its own church and Bill Gothard wasn't a pastor. That's what's so interesting though, is like he really has no credibility. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's not even a pastor and he has such a huge following and so many people take his word like he is God himself. Because he's such a manipulator. Just the way he he speaks even, you know? Right. Well, and it's crazy too, like even as early as the 60s, there were theologians and other like spiritual leaders that were calling him out for his erroneous use of scripture and, you know, the way that he kind of manipulates and twists it to form his own like rigid form of grace and all that. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's crazy that he was able to just kind of draw so many people in for that long. It's like, where's your credentials, bro? Yeah. Well, well remember, care about that. remember too, the word. this is because it's a religious organization, it's a nonprofit too. Mm-hmm. So there's always that that aspect of, of it. Course. I will say though, as, as strange as it might seem to you or to others, like another big organization that I feel is not similar in, in a lot of the things that IBLP does, but is similar in structure is focus on the family. I knew you were going to say it's that. It's a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no like, church that it's like based out of you know yeah. it's, it's an organ it's a non-profit organization that has a bunch of ministries it's more so like they're curriculum builders if you think about it yeah like th- there's churches out there and the pastors you know usually get material from somewhere else most of the times like they're going to seminars conferences and they're learning different ways to deliver god's word to people and so a lot of times these large religious organizations they have all these different facets to them and they're also majorly profitable. Um, you know, like focus on the family, I think is one of the biggest, if not the biggest Christian organization or ministry um, on the planet, but they kind of lay the ground rules, so to speak, or give mm-hmm. you guidelines mm-hmm. for, you know, and views on their sort of take on, on Christianity. And then pastors go and sort of adopt the things that, uh, that they teach and learn from, the people involved with these organizations. Whereas this is a little bit different because it's very, it's kind of like this grassroots approach of like building these training centers and kind of like mobilizing people on the ground to then spread it, spread it out. So it's a little bit different, but ultimately IBLP kind of ends up and is today much like focus on the family, but more so for fundamentalist. Today's episode is brought to you by Stitch Fix, one of my personal favorite services. I have been a Stitch Fix customer for years now. I get their boxes, their fixes every three weeks. And man, have I gotten a lot of my favorite pieces from Stitch Fix. And it just truly helps simplify my life. There's nothing I hate more than going to the mall. I hate dressing rooms. I just really don't have that great of a sense of fashion. So if I can have someone help me out in that department, I'm going to take it. Think of them as your style partner. Your stylist will learn your tastes and collaborate with you on looks you'll love without breaking the bank. You simply share your style, your sizes, your budget with a quick style quiz and Stitch Fix sends you five items in a fix right to your door. And then with your choices in mind, they find your perfect fit and you can try on everything at home, keep what you like and send back the rest. Plus shipping and returns are always free. They have over a thousand brands and styles. So no matter what season of life you're in, Stitch Fix has you covered. Simply order a refresh as needed or set it and forget it with regular fixes. You're in control. Over time, Stitch Fix and their season style experts will match you with greater precisions to perfect pieces based on your likes and dislikes. It's just so easy. I can't tell you how much easier it makes my life. So thanks, Stitch Fix. They just get me and they'll just get you too. 
Try today at stitchfix.com slash milehigher and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash milehigher, stitchfix.com slash milehigher. And the organization had a lot of influence. It raked in hella cash, tens of millions of dollars each year, and it had ambitious plans to essentially shape the world in its image. It was to the point where IBLP would be gifted facilities from government politicians or CEOs. And IBLP had many other groups within the organization to join, like Alert, Excel, Equip, CTI, which is Character Training Institute, Journey to the Heart, Telos, uh, Medical Training Institute of America, or uh, MTIA, and more. As you can tell, Billy Boy loved acronyms. And for kids and teens, some programs are like one to two weeks of summer camp. Some are multiple months. Some are years. But many older teens and young adults work at training centers instead of going to college. And many kids were simply forced to go to these programs by their parents. And many wanted to go and still suffered greatly. A lot of what the kids were doing at these training centers was basically forced child labor. They'd have to build all sorts of buildings and projects for IBLP. They'd set up and take down elaborate civic and convention centers for IBLP conferences. Really, they were at the whim of whatever Bill wanted. That and the discretion of their team leaders. Now, these team leaders were often other older kids, and their job were to keep their teams in line. And that included punishing them with prayer rooms. If you misbehaved, your team leader could lock you into these prayer rooms for days, even weeks on end. And these rooms were basically hotel rooms with no furniture. They were given Bibles and told to read from them and then released when team leaders thought that they'd repented enough. Which this is pretty extreme. Yeah. I would, yeah. Uh, yeah, fucking extreme. That would be horrible. It's torture. It's so horrible. I don't know if I go as far as say it's full-on torture. But I think it's, so. It's definitely... Locking a child in a room for days, even weeks on end? I think that's torture. I mean, I would probably say the same if that were me. But I'm just... You know, torture is a strong word. You know, if you In my opinion, it's, tor- it's like solitary confinement, which I think is torture. I don't know. What I do think you guys it's think? definitely mental torture. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just... <laughs> Jeez. I'm just saying that, like... I mean, a lot of the a lot the thing about it too, and and I'm talking from my own personal experience and people that I know that went farther into the church than I did is that these types of things exist among other organizations. Even my home church and the programs that that came out of it had similar similar things to this, where you know instead of going to college, you go into this you know missionary program and you go off and you would be working long hours and you know working because everything's for the ministry, right? So. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, they take advantage of that. Of instead of paying you, and not only are you paying to be there, but paying to work. you're paying to work for them as well, and they're getting essentially free free labor out of it. Meanwhile, so, yep. the top dudes are flying in fucking PJs. Right? Ethically, mm-hmm. ethically, it's a major issue. And but yeah, I, I agree. I think the prayer rooms are obviously way too extreme. And again, the people who were in them said they were horrible. So. And a lot of them didn't want to go. Like they're they're forced to go. They're forced to yep. work. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, these prayer rooms, like again, you're at the whims of the other kids. The kid doesn't like you. They're not. Yeah. The most, you're a kid. Your brain's not fully developed. So you're like, screw you. Like I don't like your shoes. I don't like how you looked at this guy. Like, 
go in the prayer room. And they would get they would get sent in prayer rooms for I mean the minor petty stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Very petty. You looked at a guy too long, it's like, what are you doing? Lusting after him? Mm-hmm. Like time to go repent. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. But what's crazy is that there was also this IBLP youth paramilitary organization, which I think is pretty unique to IBLP, called Alert. It functioned both as a military academy of sorts and Bill's personal army. Well, actually, it's very similar to what's it called? Yeah, sign. What do they call it? C Org. C Org. C Org. <laughs> I said core, but yeah. Oh, yeah, the C Org. Yeah, that the paramilitary thing. I understand to some extent because a lot of the things in the military is very much about like reforming you and like breaking and then if you, you and then if you give the men uniforms and stuff and give them ranks i mean i can see how it's kind of like this it's a ladder to climb so to speak so you it's, can see why they used it is what you're trying to say yes exactly easy way to control people yeah very effective way to control people mm-hmm. and then there was equip which was essentially an apprenticeship and training camp. It was supposed to train students 17 in order to work with at-risk youth. Afterwards, students could take classes with Telos, which was IBLP's fake college, and they even had their own application. This application's wild. Okay, take a look at this. Yeah. First off, well, a lot of it's odd, but this one part in particular, so this is part for the parents to fill out, and their questions are like, does your student come to you for help with struggles and weakness? Does he or she obey with a cheerful, enthusiastic attitude or groan, argue, and ask for reasons? Does he or she do jobs immediately, or do you have to give reminders? Um, When with other young people, does he or she she stand alone against unrighteous conversation activities? In what way is she cheery to serve the family? It's all about being submissive. That's to the, well, first, to your parents, and then once you're old enough, being submissive to the husband. Yep, and then ultimately God train them young. The most effective way to brainwash people. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. application too, really, you have to go in and mark all the things that you've done in the past. Yeah, like, and one of the, one of the questions: Are you or have you ever been a drug user slash pusher? Is what that on this? Uh, yeah, it's on the application. The application is quite long. If you it's have a rational <laughs> violence, how invasive! I have listened witchcraft. to the following forms of music: <laughs> rock. Rap, better be hymns only. Sin, contemporary, contemporary Christian, praise and worship, sacred, classical, country, pop, R and B. I've never heard of this pop. What What is is pop? Pop. Don't put Lady Gaga down. Automatic disqualification. So then they had biweekly assessments too. Yes, they did assessments. So they would kind of like grade you on basically your attitude. Mm -hmm. They did this for uh, the next program we're going to talk about, which was Excel, like the for uh, young women. Yeah, it's very much giving the the wives school in the handmaid's mm-hmm. sale because it yep. literally was like a wife yeah. preparation camp. They would just kind of grade you on like how uh, punctual you were and if oh. you had a good attitude and one through five scale. I like this one: joyfulness or self pity. <laughs> we don't want any of that self pity in here. Endurance <laughs> or giving up. <laughs> oh, look at this one: hospitality or loneliness. You get a one if you're too lonely. But they would send girls there for doing such horrible things like having a crush on a boy, listening to rock music, saying no to their fathers, or simply having emotions. Like I was just saying no to their fathers. The sad part is that this was a way that we're going to talk be talking a lot about sexual abuse. But yep, yep, this was grooming them for that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of young girls that were being 
sexually abused by their fathers yeah. were sent to this program yep. and it's terrible to mm-hmm. you know quote unquote break their will right don't say no to your father oh, that's so fucked up basically Mental everything torture, that makes man. women amazing they don't want mm-hmm. or just being a human being a strong, or being yeah, a or kid being a good, having be, totally, having emotions no. as a kid being yeah. confused and asking a mm-hmm. question yeah having any sort of bodily autonomy how are you supposed to stop having a crush on somebody like that's such a natural yeah. human yep. experience and it's such a i believe like sacred one to have like it's like so many of these programs are just guilting you about being a human and then they Everything make you feel natural. like you're being like a perv like some yeah. sick yeah demon child because mm-hmm. you have a crush on someone when yeah. in reality that's incredibly normal mm-hmm. that's got to do just and it does such such damage to your sexuality like mm-hmm. oh yeah then and like later on in life it's just so horrible so sad and then there was mtia which gave medical advice journey to the heart was a retreat and the cti made a character workbooks for kids there were a lot of programs within iblp they all did different but sort of related things weaving a confusing web of different departments it was basically a rule book for almost all areas of life from childhood education to standards of dress for men and women kids were to be homeschooled authority was to be respected and wives were to submit to their husbands. IBLP is a fundamentalist Christian organization, so as you can probably guess, they're against a lot of things like premarital sex, abortion, homosexuality, pornography, drugs, secularism, communism, birth control, teaching evolution, public schools, etc. Basically anything that they deem worldly is not allowed. The list of things they don't like is probably longer than what they do like. But some things they do like include patriarchy, modest dress, physical discipline, abstinence, large families, homeschooling, purity culture, and of course, capitalism. So before we go any further, we're going to take a look at some of the teachings IBLP and Bill Gothard promoted. Again, these teachings and this program were designed to guide most areas of life. And this would start with education. Parents could raise their children in IBLP so they'd be members from basically their infancy onward. A big part of IBLP's teachings are discipline and authority. Authority was the second of Bill's seven guiding principles. Central to teaching Bill's idea of authority was IBLP's authority umbrella. Now, this is a pretty interesting concept. This diagram is basically a rundown of who had authority over who in life. Um, If you're watching, we'll bring it up on screen. It is structured by authority umbrellas. So one umbrella, a family's father or husband, under his umbrella falls his wife. Under both the husband and wife's umbrellas falls the children. And every person is, of course, under these umbrellas. And Christians are safe and doing what God wants when they're under the umbrellas. But straying out from under any of these umbrellas or trying to reorder them puts people under Satan's umbrella. This disobedience or disrespect for authority allows Satan to influence and dominate a person. So when a wife disobeys her husband, who is the final say in the house, she opens herself up to satanic interference. Parents have authority over their children, and with that authority, they're supposed to discipline their children so that they follow the biblical commandment, honor thy father and mother. And most of this involved physical discipline, particularly spanking. Many kids raised in IBLP say that their parents took this discipline rule to the extreme and used it to justify beating their children. 
um, which is just so sad to me. I I know there will be different opinions on this, but in my opinion, there's just zero excuse to spank or, in my opinion, hit a child. Um, I thought it was so disturbing as they were going over all the ways that you can spank your child in this shiny, happy people documentary, you know, talking at one point they brought up like PVC pipe. Like you can pretty much hit your kid with anything. This is what they're teaching them, which just blew my mind. I just don't see any need to ever physically harm your child. I don't get it. I feel like it breaks a lot of things between the parent and the child. Yes. It definitely instills fear Mm -hmm. for sure. And it's like, is it really good to, rule by fear with your child like you want your child scared of you you want your child to run from you obviously you need to discipline your children there are so many other much more effective ways to discipline a child than to physically hurt them it's just bizarre to me that people even still spank to this day and i'm sure there will be people who disagree with me and whether that's because they were spanked themselves or they continue to spank but i was spanked i'm hard on that one i just do not understand I got yeah. spanked good. I know you did. And and you, when we, whenever we talk about it, it's very emotional for you. Wasn't fun, that's for sure. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I feel like it made me scared of my parents, honestly. Yeah. That's the goal yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. So here's Bill's advice on disciplining children. And then uh, purpose that when you discipline, there is a proper place and a role for crying. Crying is a child's way of clearing his conscience. In fact, uh, that's why when a little boy misbehaved, he came in the house and said, Mommy, give me a spanking. She said, Why? He said, Don't ask any questions, just give me a spanking. Well, the mother did ask some questions and found out he'd stolen something. But he figured if he went home and got a spanking, he'd feel a lot better. So, uh, crying. Now, I am very, very sorry that uh, various parents have abused the scriptural form of discipline, a neutral object, the rod of reproof. The real benefit of that is that uh, when a child sees this neutral object coming out of the drawer or whatever, it becomes like a placement, a reminder there is discipline coming. You better straighten up. And um, and then when it is applied properly, the child associates pain, not with the parent, but with the thing that afflicted it. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, he's a fucking You're the idiot. one that's doing it, parent. Don't you think he looks like a vampire? <laughs> and it's funny coming from a guy who never had kids. Yeah. Probably, yeah, I'm like, what experience, right. what Never experience are you talking from, mm, dude? Like, has a whole lot to you say, say that for... with a lot of confidence. Yep. Like, if you do it properly, it'll work. Okay, How do you know? Bro. You don't know. No, and that's com- my bad. personal experience was that it was quite the opposite. Like, because, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it'd be a hand, sometimes it'd be a spoon. It wasn't like they like went to the same thing every time. I don't know anyone these days who pays for cable TV. We've all switched over to the streaming apps which is great because you can pick and choose what you want. And, you know, not everybody watches all the shows on uh, the normal traditional cable TV. We like to go specifically to the actual streaming service that hosts our show. Sometimes the issue with that, though, is the show will be on some random streaming app 
that you only subscribe to to watch that particular show. And most of the times we forget to cancel those subscriptions. Here's a mind-blowing fact for you. Over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. Seriously, think of how many free trials you've subscribed to over the years that you probably never canceled. And that's why I'm such a huge fan of Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and even helps you lower your bills all in one place. It's an app that I visit pretty much on the daily because again, it does so much more than just canceling unwanted subscriptions. It helps you budget. It helps you keep track of, of transactions that are being made on your account. It really is the all-in-one finance app. When I got my accounts hooked up to Rocket Money, it went through and found all the subscriptions I'm paying for. And I think I had four or five different subscriptions I wasn't really using anymore. And with just the tap of a button, I was able to avoid long hold times or annoying emails with customer service and had Rocket Money do all the work for me to get those canceled out so I'm not paying for them anymore. Plus, I love that Rocket Money can even negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you gotta do is take a picture of your bill and then Rocket Money takes care of the rest and they go and negotiate your bills for you, which is really, really helpful. I've had them help me out with the internet bill and they got it reduced by $20. Actually, that was really nice. Rocket Money also lets you monitor all your expenses in one place, recommends custom budgets based on your past spending, and then they'll send you notifications when you've reached your spending limits. Very helpful. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved an average of $720 a year. That could be you. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash milehire. That's rocketmoney.com slash milehire. Check it out today at rocketmoney.com slash milehire. So then we're going to get into something that is so fucked up. I had never heard of this before. I was jaw on the floor watching this documentary. It's called Blanket Training. And it's for young babies and toddlers. And basically how it goes is starting as young as a child's infancy, parents spread a blanket out on the floor. And for a certain amount of times each day, the child is supposed to sit on the blanket and not move off of it. They are given a specific or limited amount of toys to play with on the mat. And if the child moves off the edge of the blanket, the parent is supposed to hit them with a ruler or other flexible object And the idea is that the child is supposed to learn self-control this way. But there's no scientific proof backing this up. Um, It's just completely fucking crazy, in my opinion. I don't know who... Can you imagine doing this with our daughter? Oh, my God. It's like, it's, you know, especially now that we have kids. God, it makes me want to cry. Like, I start to... I would never. I cannot imagine. I don't even like to see her cry just on her own. Like, the last thing I want her to do is be mad at me or upset with me yeah you're the reason causing them pain for for being a child and move like yeah. trying to move off of uh so i can't even get and the they words start out. this it's, young oh like so before young. they have any idea what's going on imagine what that does to you mentally well the goal is to break you from basically <sighs> birth so yeah. that you submit to everything so sad these poor and then you're brainwashed into this thinking way. this is the only way mm-hmm. and then you know nothing different yeah, that's the purpose of it, so that you stay in it because you know you don't know any alternative. Yeah, yeah, I remember God in the documentary. Was it Michelle or like one of the other Duggars that was talking? Maybe it was just someone they were interviewing, like an old clip where she's talking about my baby, which is just so defiant. Oh yeah, it was somebody yeah, had a like seminar an eight month old or something. Yeah. She's like, it's just so defiant. I didn't know what to do, and it, the blanket training wasn't even where it's like you are fucking out of your goddamn mind. That's literally the opposite of what babies should be doing at that 
period of time. They're supposed like to be exploring and, and touching everything. Like, that's what they do. Oh, it makes me so angry. I'm starting to get rage. In fact, kids who are blanket trained are actually less likely to have emotional regulated responses to things and a higher likelihood of defiant behavior. Hmm. No shit. Imagine that. And blanket training was a big part of the book to train up a child by Michael and Debbie Pearl. This guy is sick. Yeah, he is. This was the book that Bill endorsed as to how to discipline or quote unquote train up a child. Methods of discipline included spanking children or hitting them with items like long, thin PVC tube, a switch, mm -hmm. or a craft glue stick. Parents were to spank kids until they stopped crying, which could sometimes take hours. So basically exhaust your kid with physical abuse, pretty much. Just enrages me. Other physical discipline methods included cold baths or depriving kids of food in order to break their will. Multiple kids have died as a result of their parents using methods outlined in to train up a child. To be called to abuse a child. Well, because Michael Pearl's like, oh yeah, it's, you know, we're no different than animals. If you can train a dog, you can train a kid the same way. That's still Which what it still, you don't train sense. a dog that way mm -hmm. either. Like Study a dog show over and over again. You train a dog by positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. the saddest part is like a lot of these deaths are children with like learning disabilities, yeah. toddlers uh. and autistic children that have unfortunately, there's these horrible uh quote unquote training methods that involve swaddling the child with blankets, duct taping them to the floor. Like it's oh, it's horrific. Sick. Fucking sickos. Do you think in a way it's like the parents getting to because I'm guessing most of them were disciplined in similar ways when they were children. And so it's almost a way of like getting to take that out on your child or it's like now your turn, almost like a seniority yeah, thing. I think it's, it's the like cycle a, of abuse. Yeah. yeah. Is what it is. And yeah. it's a power you know, it's all about having mm -hmm. power over your children. Your parents are the most powerful. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, in a way it's like, well, I went through this as a child or as a child. And now, you know, I've learned the correct way to live. I'm respectful of my elders or of my husband or yeah. whatever. And so now I have to continue that legacy on to my child so that they can also, you know, learn how to be a. Mm -hmm. Well, because when they're doing this, they're also thinking about the end goal. Yeah. They're thinking about mm -hmm. them as adults when they're babies. And so they're a lot not of it's like out on, of fear in a way. Yeah, well, and it's like they want their kids to be the most effective members of of their church and of this organization as possible and so this is just part of part of that training and and God. part of getting them to the most effective version that they can be in their eyes. And the whole, the whole bigger picture of it is so sad, too. Like, obviously, it enrages us that parents would do this. Like, how could mm -hmm. you do that to your kid? And mm -hmm. I'm not trying to make excuses for them. But at the same time, if you look at the bigger picture, it's like, this happened to them. Mm -hmm. They've been brainwashed their whole lives to think yeah. that this is the right thing to do. I think these people genuinely think that they're doing the right thing, that yeah. they're helping their their kids at the end of the day. And, of yeah. course, it's disgusting and horrible. Yes. But yes. they're brainwashed. They're literally brainwashed into thinking, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what God wants. This is what Bill wants. This is the way that I do this and mm -hmm. the way to have a good child. And if I don't do this, I could have a bad child mm -hmm. or something bad could happen to them totally. or well, they'll end up in the wrong and side of life. And that's my fault yeah. because I didn't train them correctly. Yeah. I didn't raise them right. Yeah, whatever. that's exactly yeah. what it is. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. and it's also like, you know, that the kids are essentially breaking a biblical commandment, honor thy father, right. father and yeah. mother, mm -hmm. if they're disobeying. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, it's like, well, do you want your child to 
you know, be punished at the at the pearly gates. Like, no, so do it now. Yep, yep. I see what you're saying. They're you're trying like to protecting them from hell in their mind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Preventing them from sinning is mm. the goal. Scary. Because like yeah. when as a kid, you try to think about like what sins are there that you can commit as a kid and disobeying your parents yeah. and authority is like one of the major rules that gets broken by kids, right? God, so they're trying to prevent that fuck. from happening by beating them into submission, essentially. Terrible. And there's no age limit to this physical discipline, by the way. Kids could be spanked well into adulthood and wives could still be physically disciplined by their husbands. Domestic violence was sadly a normal part of life for many IBLP families. Public schools are a no-go in IBLP since they're secular-based, and education is supposed to be the mother's job. Women and girls under IBLP have a lot more rules to follow. So the kids are homeschooled, and of course, IBLP had a program for that. Bill developed this program after many IBLP parents asked him to make a homeschooling curriculum. This was known as the Advanced Training Institute, or ATI, which launched in 1984. But there is absolutely nothing advanced about this. After completing the advanced and basic seminars, parents were allowed to apply to ATI, and the curriculum was all contained in 54 wisdom booklets that taught subjects like geography and math. The whole curriculum was based on the Sermon on the Mount. Each booklet was faith-based, so all the subjects connect back to Christian teachings in some way. Not only was this faith-based education a part of the program, kids were expected to follow IBLP rules on mandatory church attendance, dress, appearance, and employment. And of course, the wisdom booklets taught creationism, denounced evolution, railed against abortion, claimed Christians are constantly under attack, and true democracy is bad. Philosophers are heretics. Science backs up all of the Bible, etc., etc. The program as a substitute for school basically made children functionally uneducated. The idea was that parents had their kids work through the book multiple times as they got older. The books alone with supplemental worksheets were supposed to be sufficient as a form of K-12 through education. And Bill said the ATI curriculum was equivalent to a high school degree and a pre-law degree, even though large sections of the books are just wrong or entirely made up. The scientific concepts go from one thing to another without teaching the background knowledge needed to understand them. The lessons in each subject really have no logical flow from one lesson to the next. There are sections on lust, immorality, and modesty. They are basically your guide to everything that is sinful and to be avoided. And there is a lot to avoid. The rules get even stricter. Rock music obviously is a big no-no, of course. But of course, so is any song with a syncopated rhythm, a beat basically. And it's not just wrong, but the antithesis of what God desires in life, in the life of a Christian. Here's an IBLP book with the title, The Rock Beat is a Greater Addiction Than Crack or Cocaine. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> Fuck. Their how-to manual. It's a conquering rock addiction. And it's they list <laughs> oh all the God. 10 steps of why, okay, of why I, rock addiction is basically the same as being a drug addict. I've got to read these. This is wild. One, the tendency of an addict to deny his addiction. I'm not addicted. I've quit many times. The sacrifice of relationships for the addiction. The, again, to rock music. If my parents won't let me listen to music, I'll leave home. Compulsion to engage in the addiction at any time. Quote, this music gives me energy for whatever I do. The practice of secrecy until others accept it. The creation of an appetite that is never satisfied. Unusual efforts to free this addiction. <laughs> this is just so whack to me. This is about music. 
using any money necessary for this addiction. Before long, I amassed a small museum of rock music. That is <laughs> sinful. Better not have those damn CDs. A readiness to defend the cause of addiction. A need to involve others in the addiction. To reach teenagers, we must use their language, it says. A reaction to those who disagree with the addict. <sighs> so insane to me. Rock music is all about liberation, it says it freedom, self-expression. It says it can cause you anxiety, envy, insecurity, perversion, doubts, lust, self-rejection, fear, depression, anger, addictions, high blood pressure, <laughs> insomnia, hormonal imbalance, and immune weakness. Would love to see the science behind that one. Also, dancing is not allowed. Many of you have probably seen, what's that movie? Footloose. Footloose, right, where they ban dancing. So I remember there was like episodes of the Duggars talking about that. Really? Oh, what'd they yeah. say? I can't remember. I just it's defrauding. I remember it's like we don't we don't really like dance. It's just not. I don't know, remember what they said, but we I remember dance. thinking that like what? God, these poor fucking people. <laughs> they all just need to be put in a room so they can dance. <laughs> like let them have a party. This is insane. Even Christian rock or popular Christian music is prohibited. Damn, that's This is as shitty, strict as man. it goes. Yeah. The Christian cartoon shows VeggieTales was banned. That's how strict this shit was. VeggieTales was lit, honestly. I love VeggieTales. My mom always found VeggieTales movies at garage sales, so I watched them all the time. And I never, like, quite understood that they were religious, but... I remember I you, liked... you would come to my house and play them, and I'd be sitting there like... It was like Bob the Tomato, the Larry the Cucumber... <laughs> I want my cheeseburger, the hairbrush if song. you like to waltz talk. with tomatoes. It was good. It was good. I always enjoyed the I always enjoyed the Sundays where they would just like instead of having like a normal sermon so they just throw veggie tails up on the screen. Well, like for, an hour two, we're not like well, yeah, pastors out today. Yeah. Just watch some veggie tails. You know what was so funny since I had no, you know, religious background when I would watch the episodes, sometimes they would act out Bible stories. And I thought they were all part of the show. Like the VeggieTales crew made up the stories of like Esther and the flood and this and that. Like, Noah I, and, the flood. and then I found out, I know I was oh, going back multiple and stories. I got yeah. you. Yeah. 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 But I, and then I was like, I found out later on that that's actually in the Bible and that their stories. I was so confused. I just thought well, they were part I'm of sure, VeggieTales. Right. Yeah. I get that. Also not allowed. Yoga. Oh, Big hell sin. no. I mean, that's not really a... Mm -hmm. There's a lot of churches that don't like yoga or Why? anything related to Eastern like religions. stretching. Well, it's because of it's tied to New Age spirituality and uh, Eastern religions. Related to Eastern religions. It'll make you New too age. woke. Ah, right. <laughs> don't want to get the Kundalini wanna... awakening. It's yeah, the same right. thing as like meditation. Like they're majorly against meditation. Mm, okay. So also not allowed. Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> uh, Barbies. Barbies are whores. Uh, Winnie the Pooh's... Uh, e oh, what's his name? Eeyore. Eeyore, right. <laughs> I forgot how to what's say his it. name? <laughs> he glorified depression. Yep. Poor Eeyore. Come on. Oh, bother. Sad man. Which they're clearly just trying to like represent different feelings and stuff like yeah. that. Try to yeah. teach kids about... It's like... It's okay to have these different feelings. There's actually a whole conspiracy behind Winnie the Pooh that they all represent like a different mental illness and that uh, Christian... Uh, Christopher, I almost said Christopher Columbus. Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin. <laughs> he has like uh, some type of. He like, like del he has a delusion about the whole world that it's all they're all imaginary, and so oh, he has oh. a mental illness himself. Oh, and interesting. Yeah, there's this whole theory behind it. Mm. It's kind of wild. Anyway, blue jeans also sinful. Blue jeans. 
Yeah, this was crazy. Um, in the Duggars, they always wore skirts. All, yeah, like, the girls they never always wore had pants, to wear dresses. And... and they would be asked, like, why don't you wear pants? And they'd be like, oh, we just prefer not to. Like, you were allowed to wear leggings under your uh, skirt if you were, like, going to ride a horse or something. Like, I remember they would do, like, physical activities. I'm like, how the fuck are they doing this in long skirts? And then if they would go swimming, you had to wear these, like, weird-looking swimsuits. They were like, I don't even know how to describe them. Like, like what they wore in like, the, like almost like a wet suit or something, kinda, like yeah. a bodysuit or kinda. Something. And just that's but, so weird uh, to me because I guess in my mind, jeans seem less like scandalous than a skirt. Well, they'd be like very long to your to the floor skirt. But even then, it's but open. It, I think it's because no, jeans it are form fitting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. they don't want they, see, they don't want the woman's body to be any. Could you wear like baggy jeans? No, no, not just women. No jeans. Yeah, and then and it's just the women. Yeah, just the women. The guys would always wear pants. <clears throat> and then I remember they had this cousin named Amy, and she was like kind of religious, but not nearly like them. And she would come over and wear jeans and like have much more modern looking clothes. And be like, mm-hmm. and she'd be like, yeah. Like, I'm a little different. And we're like, she had her first kiss or something. And they were like, oh, my God. You whore. Wow. That's crazy. As you can imagine, movies were not allowed. Romance novels were definitely not allowed. Um, But yeah, to go more into the Cabbage Patch kids, because that's kind of confusing there. Bill said that they were witchcraft and told stories about totally real families whose definitely real kids had kidney issues and psychotic episodes that resolved after their parents burnt those motherfucking pa- Cabbage Patch dolls. Well, because the creator of Cabbage Patch Kids, he said, was a warlock and would ah. curse each doll mm-hmm. individually. Uh-huh. And see. so, therefore, each doll contained a demon. Mm-hmm. And if you bring that into your house, you're, you know, you're now <laughs> under attack. Each doll contains, comes with their own demon. <laughs> demon now, included. You're now fully <laughs> under attack by Satan <laughs> and his so forces. insane. This damn doll. If I get a hundred Cabbage Patch dolls, does that mean I have like an army? Yeah, yes, yes, you it have does. the whole legion of demons. Guys, I think it's time we buy some Cabbage Patchies. Yeah, put it in the Lights Out Studio. Totally. Than Annabelle. Yeah, yeah, go yeah hang replace out with Annabelle. <laughs> it's way worse. Some Cabbage Patch dolls. Mm. In fact, if you had any doubts on what was and wasn't holy, Bill could help you out. He would sometimes personally go into homes and purify them by removing any sort of secular media. Families burned piles of books, CDs, clothing, anything considered sinful. Do you think he charged for that service? No. No. Just out of the goodness of his heart. He's basically doing an exorcism Ah. in the the house. He talked about this one time where he went to this woman's house and she had this like wooden statue. and, And she was like, yeah, every time I pass it, I get like, a scary feeling or something. I don't know. And he was like, oh, well, why don't you get rid of your wooden statue or something? So she got rid of it. And then she's like, oh my God, I'm healed. Like it was the wooden statue. Thank you. Well, even in the the Duggars too, like there was a point at where they did have some, you know, media and some worldly things in their house. And I'm sure Bill Gothard was like, hey, guys, not a good look for us by having that in your house. Doesn't line up with IBLP. And and there's an episode where like, all right, kids, you know, it's just, really not pleasing God that we have these kid kid computer games yeah. and movies and they were only, Disney stuff in there that mm-hmm. they wouldn't cleanse. Oh, yeah, Disney's big Oh, simple, hell huh? no, Disney. No, mm-hmm. Disney. Mm-hmm. They were allowed to watch their show. <laughs> watch <Yeah>. ourselves. <laughs> no, literally, because they knew that, that was like pure or whatever. <laughs> and then like a few other, I think, uh, IBLP shows that produced, IBLP yeah. produced. Yeah, but other than that, they like had no clue about any sort of movies, TV, nothing. Oh, I cannot imagine. 
I didn't really either. Yeah, though, I know up. we've talked about that yeah, a lot on this my, show. My my experience growing up was I, I relate to a lot of these guys quite a bit because obviously my parents weren't any in anything as extreme as this, but for years, probably up till I was about thirteen, whenever we'd go to Blockbuster, a video store. Well, we didn't really go to Blockbuster, but we would go to the religious section, and we were only allowed to pick out like movies from the religious section. So they had to be like produced by a, a Christian organization movie wise like i didn't watch i missed so many like popular kids movies from from the the late 90s early 2000s because i just wasn't allowed to watch it like and then eventually they were like we'll let you watch rated g uh secular movies they didn't even let you have um smash mouth remember you had like a smash mouth oh yeah well because and this is why this is a, a perfect example for why they wanted you know, they want their kids to be homeschooled is because at the public school, you have outside influences. And I had, Mm. I was, you know, trying to make friends and kids are like, oh, have you checked out this? Have you heard Smash Mouth before? I was like, no, no, no. I have no idea who they are. And they're like, oh, so they gave me a stack of CDs and it was just like, you know, Smash Mouth, a bunch of like now hits CDs. And I like hid them and, and eventually my parents found them and literally they destroyed them. And I was, I was, told to not listen to them because I only listened to Christian music probably up till again, probably late, late teens is when I started kind of, you know, when I could drive and I started getting more, you know, freedom, I was able to kind of expand my, my mind a little bit for the longest time. I only listened to Christian music. Were you allowed to at least listen to um, Christian rock? Yeah. Like I listened to like Christian metal and like stuff that doesn't sound Christian Christian metal. Oh yeah. Like screamo, like death metal. That's, that's Christian. What? Yeah, there's a wow. there's a band called Demon Hunter. Um, <laughs> there's like there's Skillet. I'm sure a lot of you out there probably know. Oh, what I know I'm Skillet. I didn't know they were Christian. Skillet's Christian rock. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Reliant K, obviously. Oh, yeah. I was um, big Reliant K. Yeah. Then. So like I, I listened to, but I would go to like Christian bookstores. Like my parents, we would whenever we'd go to any secular store like Borders or Barnes and Noble, and I go in the CD section, I'd always have to like wait till they walked away yeah. to like go check out the other CDs and then Dang. and then I'd go back to the Christian section and I could only buy from from that or buy from my church's bookstore. And so that was my collection. That's why I didn't know any of the I didn't know Elton John. I didn't know He really didn't Michael Jackson. I didn't know any of these I thought he was like fucking with me at first when we started dating. I remember asking say, my parents about the Grateful Dead. <laughs> yeah. And, and like were, the Beatles and, a mistake. And, and my parents had n- well, no with a idea. name like that and they're a like, skull. They were like, they are demonic. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, baby. Yeah. They worship the devil. I, I like, remember oh. thinking it was kind of fun the first year we were dating because I got to show you everything. You were, I've said this before, but like my little alien boyfriend. <laughs> I got to expose you to all these things. Yeah. And it was so cool to see his reaction to like Michael Jackson and the Beatles and, yeah, you know, all Disney movies and stuff. It was so Yeah, I didn't watch like me. Mulan or any of like the mm-hmm. I don't know. That classics. bitch has... Strength and power. And yeah, no, exactly Cut. the opposite of what Bill Gothard wants. Right. Yeah, let's get into how he wants the modesty standards. Mm-hmm, the were modesty very standards. strict. Yep, Bill gave guidelines as to what women should wear: modest dress, long skirts, no pants. How they should style their hair: long and curled, and even what shoes they should wear: no heels, even as short as one inch. Absolutely not. Women were supposed to dress pleasing to the eye, but not in any sinful or immodest way their responsibility was to make sure their clothing or presentation did not attract any lustful attention for men because if it did then it was their fault let's look at this guide 
is pretty interesting. It says, number one, wear a smile. Your face reveals your inner attitudes, your needs, your joys, your struggle. You better not have anything else but a smile on your face if you're a woman. Choose colors which enhance your skin tones. It goes over, <laughs> this is so wild. It goes over the winter palette, the summer palette, autumn, spring. It's, it's like, what does this have to do with fucking anything? Choose a hairstyle which complements the shape of your face. <laughs> God only wants you to have a hairstyle that matches your face. <laughs> Wear clothing that fits you properly. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. sagging. And nothing too tight. Yeah, nope. that's right. Avoid eye traps. Eyes are attracted to skin. They Lower are. Lower plunging necklines, shirts, blouses with several buttons open, bare shoulder styles, um, slits and skirts, bare backs, bare midriffs, all draw the eye of the observer to see just how far the opening goes. Eyes are attracted to teasing. None of that. Eyes are attracted to written messages. Eyes are attracted to fads. Unusual uh, details on garments such as jagged hemlines, garnish colors, like pretty much anything that's not boring. Um, eyes follow the lines of accessories. Eyes are attracted to excesses. Cosmetics should be used to enhance facial appearance by minimizing flaws in skin. Wow. Cover your zit. You're hideous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Practice personal disciplines of neatness, cleanliness, exercise, and weight control. And it just goes on and on. Stand tall, stand grateful, match your choice of clothing with the activity, say the right things with your eyes. Which I will say that, I mean, this is for day in, day out, like they want you to follow this every single day. But like mm-hmm. most churches, I would say encourage, not to this extent, but do encourage this type of modest conservative dress. Like, mm. and especially in women are like discriminated against, like in church oh, I went to. yeah women were, you know, they would have dress code for different outings that we would do. And it was always the girls that had to like, you know, cover up and still like that in public school today. Mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. two piece swimsuits had to be like one piece and it couldn't be like a it had to be like basically a a speedo <laughs> one piece swimsuit for girls. Like mm-hmm. I swear to God. And I was like, that's stupid. Of course you thought it was <laughs> stupid. Well, it's like, but it's so backwards because it's yeah. like, here I am. I can wear whatever I want. Shirts yeah. off. I can have my shirt off, but yeah. like the girls have to be all covered up. Yep. They can't, their yep. shorts had to be a certain length. Like heels were not allowed. No like, expression am- no. among people. No either. cleavage. Like, stay the same. Literally, they would pull you aside and p- make you put something on That's or send you home. That's how it is in public school. Yeah. I got in dress a lot of coded. Oh, yeah. Look at these. Uh, what are these eyes saying? Zoom in on that part. <laughs> What are these eyes saying? That first woman, look at her eyes, are all scandalous. Oh. You see, she, they're trying to... And this is like part of their curriculum. Well, they like her. They they like the, the oh, flight like attendant the, looking lady. They use that no, picture she's, so much. No, she's winning, but the top left? Oh. Uh-uh. She's got like scandal eyes. She's got like sexy eyes. They don't, they're not into that. She's a... Sweet. What are these eyes saying? Just look happy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flight she attendant no girl, happiness. she's winning. A woman winking as you can probably imagine, is considered very sinful. In fact, it's an act of whoredom. Winking. Yeah, it's sexual. Ah. This is an action that would defraud someone. I like how they use the word defraud. Someone of the opposite sex, stirring up desires that cannot be righteously fulfilled. God, that is so backwards. 
they don't want anybody getting turned on here. Because it's the girl's fault for turning me on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn, there's and there's still people that think that. It's so crazy. Women were also told to avoid eye traps, which let's take a look at this sheet taken from the IBLP homeschooling booklet. Can you guess which women are dressed like lustful harlots engaging in whoredom? All right, Julia, quiz us. What do you think about about the, the first three women? First three. So who's the whore here? <laughs> who's the whore out of the six? Ah, okay. Out of the six? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, out of all six? No, or just there's top three. There's multiples well, there's, in here. Yeah. I'm well, just wondering if you can. You can find anything. Yeah. Actually, let's let these two. I've, I already know these. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you just by glancing at it. I'm going to guess the whore is number one. Why is that? Because she's got lace. You can see her skin. Ooh. It's not fully covered. Janelle, what's. You have a guess? Um, yeah, I would guess number one as well. And six is probably a whore too, right? Why is she's that? She's got. A plunging shirt. Ooh, damn ho. How about number four, though? She's got a little slit in the back. Ooh, yeah, you're right. Kind of whorish, too. Whore. So, yeah, final answer is one, six, and four. Are the whores? Wrong. Well, yeah, well, kind of. <laughs> it's wrong, because guess what? They're all... <laughs> all of them? All of them. <laughs> number Shut one up. is the lace. Hmm? Number two is how long her necklace is. It attracts oh. the male down to her, like... Oh, no. Yeah. It's like an arrow. Genitant. Yep, mm-hmm. Number okay. three, that shirt is like right um, by her. It brings attention to her to the Yes. Yeah. It's like right there resting on him. So I would have never guessed. That's crazy. <laughs> Number four, you could see a little uh, yeah. calf. I yep. believe it's the skirt is also taut around her waist. Ah. So number five, is it the skirt's not long enough? No, V-neck. V- uh, Again, right. you still got the cleavage. Bow. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Six looks like she's got Heels. her legs tatted or something. <laughs> Those are tights. Oh, Pantyhose. they're lacy tight. Yeah. And then the heels, too. Mm, yeah, they're all whores. Yep. Hose. Okay. <sighs> By, like, normal standards, these are all very conservative outfits. Can you imagine if I was just, like, we were all showing up to work? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine. It'd be hot. Yeah, yeah, Julie, I'm going to need you to change because your, um, oh, right. your, your shoulders no are sleeves. showing. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I'm wearing a necklace. But. Yeah. 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 Is it You're longer breaking a lot than of rules. 16 inches, Julie? Is that necklace longer than 16 inches? Well, it's also a Lana Del Rey um, <gasps> necklace. Absolutely so not. She's a strike sinner. one. And it's also kind of a rosary, which in Catholicism is it's bad that I'm wearing a rosary. But. Uh, uh-oh. Yeah. I'm going to need you to send you home. Lots of up. sinning happening over there. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of sin. Mm-hmm. So no necklines that went anywhere further than just below a woman's collarbone. <laughs> That's so insane. Okay. No necklaces longer than 16 inches. Anything longer would basically be a big arrow pointing for a man to gaze down there mm. and at the women's breasts. Okay. As for male purity standards, beyond those that are actually women's responsibility, there are a few. No one, way. Not one notable rule is that uncircumcised men are not as morally pure as circumcised men. Really? That's interesting. How I would have thought it would be, would be the other way around mm-hmm. in this. That, that's surprising to me. Well, I believe it's a it's a Protestant thing to circumcise. Or my, a lot of cultures. It could be a lot of cultures, but... Yeah. Isn't that kind of going against, well, like, God in their belief, like their that. God made... Yeah, yeah, right? Well, they see it as um, getting circumcised. It keeps that area cleaner. And, um, uh. I mean, it, it does also take away sensation which it's, yeah. it's really kind of fucked up and sad um mm-hmm. you know because it's 
they don't want. That's why they say it's the men are more morally morally pure because less sensation. I think, and uh, you know, they it, don't get it aroused as easy or yeah. can like wow, you know, God, masturbate that's, as that's easily. Insane. Which you can. I mean, it's it's ridiculous because it's like, you know, that's not going to stop you if you, yeah, you know, no, have desires, which is completely normal. No. Mm. It's it's ridiculous. There's that, even like a certificate of circumcision of the heart, whatever that means, that you would sign. And according to their little sheets, they want um, like the great grandparents or the grandparents present at the circumcision, which. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's pretty fucked up. There's this one testimony. I was reading all of it. it this person said a lot of things, but he said that at age 15. So he was raised by his parents and an IBLP. And at the age of 15, his father decided that it would be best to have him and his four brothers circumcised at 15. Oh, my wow. God. And he said he was so brainwashed, he didn't even really think of the fact that, you know, this was his body and he should be able to decide what happens. And he was describing how he was, like, very scared of it and was trying to, like, somehow convince his dad that, like, he didn't need it, like, he would save money if he didn't do it or whatever. And... His dad was like, nope, we're doing it. And um, wow. he, like, described his experience. It's very sad. I won't, like, I don't want to trigger anyone. I won't go into detail. But mm -hmm. then afterwards, he subject. was, like, after when he was healing, his dad would, like, sit there and watch them, like, oh my clean God. themselves and stuff. Like, creepy fucking shit. His dad was, like, all over watching them and making sure oh. that it looked right and, like, just so disturbing. At age 15. That's, that's crazy. And it's so horrible because he felt like he didn't, he wasn't entitled to control of his body because at that age he was, you know, attracted to women yeah, and yeah. he was, you know, having thoughts that he thought women were beautiful and maybe I'm sexually attracted to them. And he thought it was so his dad would make him confess. It's a big oh. thing in IBLP is confessing and yeah. you have to be the one to initiate that. Um, oh, thank God my parents night. didn't yeah. make me do that. That would have been very bad. Yeah, he said it was horrible. He would go to his dad and like have to confess. Oh, like I looked Jesus. at a woman today and I looked at her curves and he'd be like, shame on you. Like this is, you know, whatever. Just for a natural human thing. And then, yeah. He's, wow. he even My got dad to encouraged point. that, actually. Really? Yeah. He encouraged the, you know, liking women. Well, because he would say things <laughs> like, good, you're not gay to Josh. True. True. Oh, that's really great. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. He caught me exploring on the internet a few times and, you know, I would be terrified, but he'd be like, well, oh, and I, I'll never forget this, too. I had the boys like girls album cover oh. on my desktop <laughs> that band was good and like after i closed out the internet browser he looked at my computer and he's like well i'm glad to see that boys like girl <laughs> he had no <laughs> idea it was a band Jesus. but it, he was he was like i mean he was upset about it because he's like you should you know yeah that's sinning to it's be so looking sad at that, though but, like but i'm just exploring my sexual and, yeah and that's exactly like as somebody who i i was majorly repressed in that area growing up like as an adult, I now realize like how important it is for for kids to be able to be free in expressing mm -hmm. those feelings Not and and, and be able to go to your parent and talk to them about how you're feeling and you know and if you're wanting to experiment with things and actually getting good solid information and and being open about that as opposed to like having to hide everything. Like, I had to hide absolutely everything that I did when it came to my sexuality for for years until I literally moved out of their house. I had to completely repress all of that which is so sad because it's like like you said it's a very natural thing that happens yeah. and this person specifically was saying how when he would 
like get turned on by looking at other yeah. women or whatever. He thought that something was bad and like the devil was in him. And he yeah. was like, what, how can I be this sick person? Like, I can't even get married because I don't want to ever, you know, mm -hmm. expose a woman to like how disgusting I am. And at one point he even talked about how he contemplated like taking his own life because he thought oh that God. it would be better if he wasn't yeah. here because he was such a disgusting human yeah. being on this planet. Well, so that's, sad. I would go to Bible study on Sundays and we do, they would split us off into men's and, and, or boys and girls groups. And then in the boys groups, like we had a boy, a man that led it and he would, they would like talk to us about it. Be like, are you having any, any sexual thoughts about, about girl? And then they would like grill us oh, and so shame, shame. Like, yeah. Like literally at church, shame us for like, we'd have to be like, like, have any of you looked at pornography? Like they would try to do this accountability oh group where it'd be like, I'm going to hold you accountable and be like, we're going to go around the circle. Who, who's, has anybody looked at pornography this week? And be like, and be like, Josh, you know, hey, buddy, like, why don't you text me when you're, when you're feeling, you know, like you want to look at. you're an addict. Yeah. And I'm like, I, and I, oh. I, at that point I was starting to be like, this is just, like, what is going on here? Like, I'm just exploring, like, I got mm -hmm. no education on this whatsoever. And also I'm surrounded by people who are all free to express themselves and, and enjoying, you know, learning about their sexuality. And here I am like feeling shameful about it every single week and having to like confess these things. And then also I have my parents like hovering over me, checking my internet history and all well, the issues it gives you for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. And and it does. It absolutely does. Mm -hmm. Plus only married couples can have sex and sex can include anything considered sodomy, which means no oral and certainly no anal, really nothing other than God honoring missionary is allowed. Mm. Mm. God honoring missionary. <laughs> okay. It was both men and women's holy duty to get married and start having kids as soon as possible. Dating in and of itself is prohibited, even if you're not having premarital sex. Only courtship is allowed. Bill Gothard says dating is a no-go unless you want your kids to become damned to hell. Here's uh, what Bill had to say himself about this. There is so much damage going on today in dating. And one of the things that amazes me the most is how little parents know about what their kids have gotten into. Any parent who thinks you can, quote, trust a son or daughter out in dating today, you do not understand what's happening out there. I mean, that is an invitation to destruction. And I cannot believe why parents don't see that their teenagers are being destroyed and damaged. Then you wonder, how come they're pulling away from the family, pulling away from God, because they have done something they don't want you to know about, they feel so guilty about? And then you wonder, what's it all about? Because you encourage dating. And dating is unscriptural. Dating is wrong. Just plain wrong. It might have gone, you know, a century ago when we had a Christian environment. But today, in the evil, vile, wicked world, when the normal is immorality, and the expected thing is premarital violations of God's standards. And that is why, when it comes to marriage, it's not a question of a romantic, oh, we went out and dated and, and fell in love. No, it better be a matter of God is calling me to this marriage. So when the going gets 
difficult, you're able to remember back. But I didn't marry because I wanted to. I married because God directed me. I'm following the Lord. Therefore, I can make this thing through even during a difficult time. You're right, Janelle. He he's talks so much like Michelle Duggar. And they talked about in the documentary, like, they, I think they do that on purpose to try mm-hmm. and kind of, like, brainwash you into thinking, like, oh, this, mm-hmm. like, sweet-talking, soft-spoken woman. Yeah, it's almost She's, like asmr And... Comforting. Yeah, I think especially her. And there was, I think there was part of the documentary where they were like, yeah, she talked like that on camera, but you don't know what went on, like, off camera behind closed doors. I don't know. Did you guys have any rules on, like, dating and, or did your parents ever tell you, like, oh, you got to wait till a certain age or rules? No. Or was it just kind of no. like when you came home, you're like, oh, I have a boyfriend. They're like, oh, great. Yeah, they're like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't allowed to, like, bring them for a sleepover. Yeah, I had some rules. Sure. Yeah, like, absolutely. I definitely had rules. No but, boys in the room, like, things like that. But, but my mom, like, as soon as I became old enough to start actually, like, dating and potentially becoming, like, sexually active, like, they were very, they weren't, like, do not have sex. They were very much so, like, mm-hmm. you're going to have sex. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. please be safe here's you know yeah. how to not get a disease here's please, the like, tools right need, here's yeah. the tools you need to in order because you're going to do it yeah. and you know if you ever find that you're confused or you don't understand or you find yourself in a bad situation like you can come to me and I'll help you because that's what parents should be doing and not like scaring the shit out of your kids because you know kids and teenagers are going to do what they're going to do courtship is basically when two fathers choose to set up their son and daughters together but it's basically hanging out with someone of the opposite sex with chaperones at all times, not dating. There's no touching, no hugging, no kissing, and definitely nothing beyond that. So we have some IBLP courtship questions to ask on a, it's not a date. I don't know what you would even call it because dating is, oh, right, is bad. But on a courtship interview. In a courtship play date. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Your chaperones. Okay. Uh, What are your parents' first names? Do you think your parents know the meanings of their names? That's why I asked about Bill loves, like, this is how you can get people to follow God is if you ask them if they know the meaning of their name and then tell them. That is so weird. Yeah. When is your parents' anniversary? These are great icebreakers. If your friendship deepens, it would be appropriate to remember this occasion. (laughs) (laughs) Happy anniversary to your parents. I got on my cow. I think it proves that, like, are your parents godly? And what is their relationship mm. like? Oh, feel because it then out. that'll tell you yeah. what yours could be like with this person. I see, I see, I see. See, next time I'm going to go on a first date, I'm going to ask that. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, do you think your parents know the meaning of their names? <laughs> you should. He's going to be like, damn, do you want to go uh, have premarital violation of God's standards? <laughs> 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 IBLP was also a big promoter of the Christian theological position known as the Quiverful Movement. This is a position in Christianity where people believe in large families and procreation and no use of birth control or really any family planning. It can be summed up with Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. Behold, children are the heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. That's Psalms 127, 3 through 5. The more kids quiverful families raise, the more Christians there would be in the world is the idea. So families were expected to have as many children as possible to maximize the number of children or blessings spread across the earth. 
which means no birth control and there's no abstinence either because it'd be sinful to deny your husband access to your body at any point. And yes, pulling out is a sin, as is any sex without the intention of procreation. Pulling out is a sin? Wow. Well, how else do you think 19 kids and counting yeah. cut I mean, to that point? Yes, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember um, her talking about uh, Michelle, too. I think it was Michelle at one point. Maybe it was on the documentary or somewhere else I saw her, but talking about how you should have sex even if you're tired, yeah. if your husband wants it, Which no matter so what. It's terribly sad. It's extremely abusive. I mean, so much of this culture is just teaching people how to be abused and how to abuse others. And even in places and times where it's like, mm, maybe we shouldn't be having sex right now. We need to be doing other things. Like if Jim Bob got the idea, that was God being like, go, because mm -hmm. for all you know, you could be creating another kid right now. Wow, that's so wild to wrap your mind around. And of course, women are supposed to have as many children as possible. The definition of possible does not preclude much in this case. Being financially, emotionally, or mentally incapable of having more children are not understood as reasons to avoid pregnancy under this ideology. Women are to stop having children only when menopause ends their childbearing years. And in many cases, women are to keep having kids, even when pregnancy and birth pose a significant risk to their health. Terribly, terribly sad. Um, many of you guys remember the Turpin family. Um, I know I covered it at one point when that story first broke. Just horrific, horrific um, abuse in that family. Um, they, 13 kids, they were a quiverful family. Now, Bill said that some men, and only men, could be exempt from this duty to found a family. This exemption was granted if God has other plans for them. And of course, Bill counted himself as one of those exemptions. He's never married and has zero children, but he still has plenty of advice for wives and parents, despite having neither. As a woman, a lot of making sure your husband doesn't cheat on you is your responsibility. If your husband cheats, that's your damn fault. If you don't support him enough, he will sleep with someone else. God, I saw someone the other day somewhere on the internet talking about how like, if your man ever has like a frown on his face, he shouldn't have any frown lines because it's your fault if he has those wrinkles because he's sad ever. <laughs> Sorry, side note, but just crazy some of the ideology that's out there. So here's Bill on a wife's responsibility to her husband. I said, now I know why your husband left you. Because a sad wife is a public rebuke to her husband. It's like saying, I want everyone to know what a failure my husband is. He does not know how to make me happy. He's just a failure. On the other hand, a happy, joyful wife is a public crown to her husband. Wives, you must learn to be both happy and grateful. That is your greatest attractiveness. In fact, um, how do you do it? The one thing that damages both gratefulness and happiness is expectation. That is the greatest problem to relationships. This is why it's easier to get along with people outside your family than it is to get along with people in your family, because you expect less from people outside your family. You expect more from people in your family, and expectations do more to damage relationships than anything else. Now, what happens before a girl gets married? She has these unwritten expectations. She expects her husband to love her. She expects her husband to tell her once in a while he loves her. She expects her husband to provide for her. She expects her husband to be faithful to her. And uh, she expects her husband to be home when he says to be home. And if he's late, to call her ahead of time. And so on. All these different things. So let's suppose the husband fulfills all these expectations. Big deal. 
No medal for that. I mean, she was expecting that. He has to go beyond those expectations before he gets any praise from her. And you know what that does, wives? That makes your husband a prisoner of your expectations. Oh, my God. I hate this motherfucker. This is the guy that's never had a woman ever. <laughs> yeah, okay. He has no bro. idea what he's talking about. Now, you might be thinking that having to follow all of IBLP's rules might make you a tad bit stressed, maybe even depressed. Well, Bill Gothard has an answer for that, too. Here's his take on mental illness. In one seminar, Bill made the claim a Jewish psychiatrist shocked the psychiatric world. He made a statement and demonstrated through his work that much of what we call mental illness, such as schizophrenia and so on, is not mental illness at all. It's varying degrees of irresponsibility. If we allow ourselves to act irresponsibly, we will soon begin to think incoherently. Unfucking real. Janelle, you have a you have a lot of degrees in the subject area. Does this just do this checks out? Yeah, yeah, that's what we learned. That's mm -hmm. right. It's that's all, what they teach you in school. I right? mean, put a smile on your face. Yep, depressed, just, just smile, smile, baby. It's literally fine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you keep thinking these things, well, it's your own fault. Your own making yourself fault. sad. Mm -hmm. See, studies show that forcing yourself to smile can actually have a positive impact on your mood, even if you don't actually feel good. Just smile through it. IBLP, not so subtly, implies this. Depression is a result of irresponsibility, rebellion, or some other personal moral failing, um, which, of course, is sinful and can be cured with something as simple as a voluntary smile. If it's that easy to cure and you're still depressed, that's because you're not even trying. Okay, quit being lazy about it. And that's you choosing to sin. That's the real ideology these people have. Which is sad because those people who believe this and are depressed, even if it's clinically because you have hormonal imbalances right. in your brain, mm -hmm. and you're over here like, I don't understand. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm trying yeah. to smile. I'm praying to God. And I still feel like shit. Oh. Or people that have something like schizophrenia right. thinking like, this is somehow my fault. Mm -hmm. It's just it's autism. Terrible. Anything like that. Terrible. So as you can probably imagine, Bill Gothard always followed these strict standards and rules. His behavior was a perfect example of not only just a decent person in general, but a godly man. Because the head of IBLP would never continually do the opposite of what he preaches, right? Of course, as we know, sexual misconduct, scandals, and prominent evangelical leaders go together like peanut butter and jelly or televangelists in private jets. Also like a good megachurch minister... Bill had Jesus planes. Oh, nice. In 1979, IBLP purchased a Learjet that Bill used to fly to meetings and seminars. In the 1980s, a big scandal broke within IBLP. It was revealed that Bill's brother, Steve Gothard, was having multiple affairs with female staffers. Bill's siblings were all involved with his ministry at some points, and this included his brother, Steve Gothard. Steve worked on writing materials for IBYC publications. Now, as we've explained, Bill has always been publicly very against dating. But multiple staff members that worked with Bill and Steve say that they were both dating other IBYC staff members throughout the 60s and 70s. But by the mid-70s, Steve's dating habits had become a problem. He was seeing too many women. The Gothards knew this was a problem that needed to stay hidden, so they shuffled Steve off to the upper peninsula of Michigan. This is where IBYC's 3,000 acres Northwoods Conference Center is located. The sprawling complex is located in the tiny town of Watersmeet. So it was a very isolated and private area. And as you can probably guess, Steve's behavior got much worse. He was sleeping with no less than seven female staffers within four years of the move. 
Steve was controlling and he methodically groomed the women into secret sexual relationships with him. Bill routinely sent secretaries to work with Steve in Northwoods. When they'd get there, Steve would ignore them completely. The new women wouldn't be invited to staff dinners and they'd be assigned the most boring and mundane of tasks. Finally, the women would come to Steve in tears, wanting to know what they were doing wrong. And this is when Steve would change tactics. He'd assume the role of their counselor. He had the women tell him their secrets and insecurities in order to break down their boundaries. Steve would walk in on the women changing and casually discuss their bodies. Once they became attached to him, he'd tell them what to wear, how to style their hair, and even instruct them to wear push-up bras. The behavior would ramp up until Steve roped the women into sexual relationships. If they tried to resist his advances, Steve would threaten to have them fired and excommunicated. By 1979, the brewing scandal was becoming very hard to contain. Bill himself had gotten in trouble at Northwoods when a staffer walked in on him alone in a room with a woman on his lap. Bill was actively doing nothing to stop Steve from victimizing women, and by all accounts, he was doing that himself too. And Steve was completely indiscreet. Staff members would walk in on him having sex, and his assistant even supplied him with pornography. The Gothard family really tried to cover up the scandal as much as possible, as you can imagine. At one point in 1979, they actually called in the family of one of the women that Steve had been involved with. They asked him to give their daughter up to marry Steve, and the family refused. But by 1980, the scandal couldn't be contained any longer. The news broke, and Steve was immediately shipped off to his brother in California. And of course, Bill fought to keep his place at the head of IBYC, and he kept it for a while. But staff morale began to plummet, and finally the board removed him from his position. But this was a far from permanent move. After just 17 months, Bill's replacement resigned in order to avoid facing his own sexual misconduct scandal. And just like that, Bill was reinstated. The organization recovered and was back in full force in remarkable time. And this scandal was buried and forgotten, but not forever. And that's in large part because this would not be the last scandal that IBLP would face. So now we're going to take a look at the sexual harassment scandal that dethroned Bill Gothard. And this time, it would be permanent. Gretchen Wilkinson was just 16 years old when she met Bill Gothard. The year was 1992. Gretchen was attending a seminar with her family in Knoxville when Bill approached her. He seemed to be affixed on her very quickly. Gretchen was raised in IBLP. In fact, her parents said that Bill Gothard was the reason that she was alive. They had decided to stop having kids, but when they heard Bill's teaching, they got pregnant with her. So, as you can probably imagine, Gretchen deeply revered Bill growing up. Gretchen recalled, I remember he held my hand and wouldn't let go, looking me in the eyes and telling me how my eyes were my soul and that I just had a beautiful smile. Bill was very insistent that she come back to the IBLP headquarters in Hinsdale to work for him. And it wasn't an offer that she had much time to think about. He wanted her to leave with him right then and there. Not that she really would have taken much time to think about it. Again, Gretchen was just 16 and Bill was almost like a godlike figure to her. She felt very special, like Bill had chosen her. Out of anyone he could have picked, he picked her. At first, her parents weren't willing to let her go, but they changed their minds and flew Gretchen out to Chicago later that week. From there, Gretchen was thrown right into working for IBLP as one of Bill's secretaries. This was a pattern of Bill's. He'd meet teenage girls at seminars, tell them how beautiful they were and how he needed them to come work at his headquarters immediately. 
Then he'd fly the girls out, take them on IBLP trips, and begin to cross their boundaries. This was also the case with a young woman named Rachel Frost. Rachel met Bell at an IBLP event in Knoxville when she was only 15 years old. She was looking for her flute in preparation for a performance with the IBLP orchestra when Bill approached her, and Rachel was starstruck. Bill asked if she wanted to work for IBLP, and he told her parents that he needed her in Hinsdale stat. They were shocked, but they agreed, and Bill paid for her plane ticket there. And just like that, he put Rachel up in her own apartment and made her one of his personal secretaries. It only took two years before Rachel was integrated into Bill's group of young secretaries. She went on trips with him and appeared in IBLP promotional materials frequently. And Bill's favorites got special privileges, like being able to wear red nail polish or even high heels. People noticed this obvious preference in younger women, and they jokingly called them his harem. Bill would frequently play footsie with his secretaries, which made them very uncomfortable. They would try to keep their feet tucked behind their chairs to avoid this. Again, it was IBLB teachings that touching someone of the opposite sex outside of marriage was lustful and sinful. This would escalate to Bill touching the young women's thighs, breasts, and genitals over their clothing. It was clear that Bill had some sort of foot fetish. Many of the women blamed themselves. They thought that a person as godly as Bill touching them must mean they were defrauding them. In other words, they were sending him sensual signals with their appearance and or behavior. Bill's teachings focused heavily on the sinful nature of lust, so it seemed inconceivable that he could be capable of being inappropriate with the women. And a lot of these young women grew up very sheltered. They knew almost nothing, if anything at all, about sex. So this added another layer of confusion, shame, and isolation. It made it that much harder to fully recognize that their boundaries were being violated and that Bill was doing something wrong and that it was not their fault. And sadly, the abuse would only get worse. Once, Rachel said she was driving with Bill and two other staff members, and without warning, he grabbed all her hair, yanked it by the nape of her neck, and through his clenched teeth, he whispered, I love your hair. The harassment towards Gretchen escalated as well. Once, she was alone in Bill's office when he placed his hands on her breasts, thighs, and genital area where she was clothed. He made sure to have her promise that all of this, of course, be kept a secret. Bill would also call Gretchen in for one-on-one -on -one counseling. He'd have her confess her sins to him. He was particularly interested in anything she had to say about boys. Bill knew that Gretchen's father had sexually abused her as a child, so he told her that not only was she a temptation to men, she had tempted her father. She was just seven years old when the abuse began. Sexual abuse was something that Bill Gothard's teachings tacitly allowed, and these teachings shifted the blame of sexual abuse from the perpetrator to the victim. Essentially, IBLP's handling of sexual abuse hinges on the idea that the victim was asking for it. That included even victims of child sexual abuse. Abuse victims were taught to examine how they invited the abuse, something in their behavior or address that caused lustful desires in the abuser. Here are some selections from ATI's first edition wisdom booklets on the subject of rape. The gist of it is, for it to be a legitimate sexual assault, the victim has to scream. In fact, it's their duty to scream or else it's a sin. And they can't just scream in general. They have to scream Jesus' name in an attempt to have him intervene. According to these materials, this is often enough to stop the sexual assault before it happens. And if it doesn't stop it, then it's your fault. You did something wrong. Right. You didn't scream loud enough. You brought this upon yourself, right. essentially. Yeah. So fucked. It is. It's not even enough to say, no, I don't want this. You have to scream out Jesus's and invoke Jesus' yeah. name and have yeah. him 
intercede because if you mm-hmm. just magically call on God, there's the stories that they put in the wisdom booklets. They're like, oh, there was this woman that was being attacked and she screamed and called out God's name and someone heard her and the guy stopped her, stopped the perpetrator just in time because she called on God. And it's like so vile. Well, I don't understand the logic. I mean, wouldn't Jesus have not even allowed that to happen in the first place? Or isn't he always watching? Well, they have an answer to that. There is a lot Mm. of worksheets for why God allows sexual abuse to happen. And the answer is basically, well, one, to teach you a lesson because you were asking for it, which is so incredibly fucked up. Or two, it's if it quote unquote wasn't your fault, if it wasn't, you know, if you didn't do anything to ask for it, it was because God wanted to make you stronger. And you should oh my God. not only be happy and thankful for that, but stop bitching. Stop stop being so upset that you were raped um, because <sighs> so many people would be so lucky to have the gift of strength that God has bestowed Ew, upon you. And you have to it. forgive your abuser because uh, otherwise you're bitter. And, um, you know, bitterness leads to all sorts of of problems and character flaws. And so just just forgive it. Forgive the abuser and get over it and move on. And be happy. And don't say anything. That's sick. That's sick. God, I can't even imagine the mental anguish that some of these people have gone through. I mean, this sort of victim-shaming mentality goes even further in a disgusting IBLP handout on counseling sexual abuse victims. Items one and two discuss victims' feelings by saying only their body was damaged. It's no big deal. Item three goes further. The attacker damaged your body, but you damaged your soul and spirit by being bitter about being raped, which is a sin. The next item speaks for itself. Why did God let it happen? A result of defrauding by immodest dress, indecent exposure, being out from protection of our parents, being with evil friends. I mean, just anything to put the blame on you. The next item asks if the victim is guilty for one of these sins and for not reporting the abuse thereby letting others be abused. The counselor is instructed to talk about moral vaccination. Essentially, in one seminar, Bill told the audience about a woman who had unwanted sexual thoughts. She was raped and became adverse to sexuality. Bill framed this as a good thing, as rape being a vaccine against lust. How insane. Item six and seven, if abused is not at fault, that's right, if. That means if God allowed you to be raped, so you would be mightier in spirit in exchange. Item eight, no physical abuse or mighty in spirit. What would you choose? Get over it. It should be worth it. You should be lucky that God made you mightier in spirit. And I know this is probably very um, upsetting and triggering to many of you out there. And It's very hard to read through these. Item nine says that the victim's reason for bitterness is that the attacker damaged their body. The solution, give your body to God since you clearly didn't do that before and get over it. Item 10 continues that the solution is to also forgive your rapist. Then you must be cleansed with words because as a sexual abuse survivor, you are dirty and unclean. Many of these victim stories stayed under wraps for decades, but things started to shift in 2011. That year, a group of former ATI and IBLP members started a website called Recovering Grace. This was a place for those who were negatively affected by the organization to share their stories. In April of 2012, a bombshell dropped. Recovering Grace posted Lizzie's story, the testimony of a girl who formerly worked at headquarters. 
She said that Bill groomed and sexually harassed her while she was a teenager. In the late 90s, Bill asked Lizzie to defer college so she could work at IBLP headquarters in Oakbrook, Illinois. This assignment included a trip to San Jose where Bill sexually harassed Lizzie and another young female staffer. And Lizzie was 17 at the time. It is really striking the modifications that this young girl had to make to keep Bill's advances away. And what's more shocking is how each and every time Bill somehow figured out a way to get around these preventative measures. He frequently tried to play footsie with her, hold her hand, pet her hair, gaze at her, stroke her arm, things like that. He'd frequently call her into his office and put her in positions where she had to be alone with him. But he also tried to harass her discreetly in the presence of others, whether it was holding her hand or touching her with his feet under the table. Lizzie tried to explain these incidents away in her head. His behavior just couldn't fit in her head with the man that she'd grown up revering. But these incidents just kept happening. And even when she tried her hardest to avoid them, it was to a point where it was impossible for her to not recognize Bill was being inappropriate. But now she felt stuck. One of the reasons that Lizzie felt like she couldn't speak up was because the power that Bill wielded over the IBLP staff. He was a master of rhetoric, as she put it. And any criticism of him, he could immediately flip on its head and turn it around on the other person. So Lizzie felt like it was no use trying to confront him. Not only would she not get anywhere with him, but she knew the consequences of trying to stand up to him. Like other people who criticized Bill, she'd be dismissed from headquarters, which was her housing, her income source, her social circle, and her reputation would be damaged. Also, Lizzie discussed Gothard's inappropriate behavior with another young woman, and she agreed it was wrong. But they both knew that so many people would be let down by the news. And Lizzie outlines more reasons why she couldn't report what was happening. I mean, women didn't really know who to report the harassment to. She noted that IBLP was and still is structured in such a way that Gothard has no accountability outside of his board of directors. That's the way these people work. They set themselves up in this position for a reason. She was a literal teenager, still a child, like many of the other victims. Their brains weren't fully developed, but Bill was aware of this and used that to his advantage, of course. Many convinced themselves that they were simply overreacting. They thought they were misinterpreting him or making a big deal of accidents or social faux pas. Bill made it known what he wanted and didn't want from young women's appearances. Lizzie watched as he praised two of her housemates who'd lost weight, saying they had, quote, discipline of figure. One of those roommates had just gone through a serious illness. The other had developed anorexia. Meanwhile, girls who'd gained weight were shuffled off and reassigned from headquarters. Similarly, if girls rejected his advances too many times, Bill would lose interest, ignore them, and have them reassigned. But Lizzie said there were always two to six girls in his rotation of favorites. She desperately tried to subtly reject Bill, but it wasn't working. She kept trying, but she couldn't figure out how to get off of his rotation. Until finally, picture day came. The staff was to take photos that Bill would pray over every morning. Lizzie had come down with an illness and looked pale and tired in her photos. After Bill saw them, he never called Lizzie to his office again. Thirty more women came forward with their similar stories. One victim was groomed and repeatedly told by Bill that her sexually abusive father didn't love her, but he did. Another victim who was 15 at the time said Bill rubbed her thighs very close to her genital area. Then there was a harrowing story from one victim who tried to report her abuse to IBLP staff. 
Jane Doe was raped and trafficked by her father and multiple other relatives. When she reported the abuse and trafficking to the IBLP staff, they didn't take the report to the authorities. Instead, Bill had both he and Jane call Jane's father. Bill asked her father if the claims she was making were true. Of course, he said they weren't. Bill then threatened Jane, took her into a private room, and raped her. Jane reported the rape to IBLP staff in 2013. She was also raped by an IBLP counselor at the Indianapolis Training Center. She was 17 or 18 when the rapes occurred. That Indianapolis counselor was actually the father of Ruth, the girl who had been abused by Steve Gothard in the 80s. Ruth said that her father had sexually abused her in the past. All of these allegations showed striking patterns in Bill's behavior. He had a clear pattern of picking, isolating, grooming, harassing, and abusing young women. In response to the allegations, IBLP launched an internal probe in April 2014, and they placed Bill on an indefinite leave. He made a statement in which he apologized for, quote, holding of hands, hugs, and touching of feet or hair with the young ladies. Amazingly enough, Bill tried to claim that none of this was intended to be sexual. He denied harassing anyone, saying he never so much as kissed a girl, but he admitted that his actions had, quote, crossed the boundaries of discretion and violated a trust. Two months later, the probe was complete and IBLP announced their conclusions. Bill had acted inappropriately, but not criminally. So basically, we investigated ourselves and we found that we did nothing wrong from their perspective. IBLP announced that Bill Gothard had been removed from the organization and was not allowed to come back. From there, IBLP basically tried to distance themselves from Bill. In September of 2015, they announced that they were moving their headquarters from Hinsdale to Big Sandy, Texas. In October of 2015, Gretchen, Amber, and three other women sued IBLP for sexual abuse, harassment, and cover-up. Five more women joined the lawsuit in January 2016, and Bill was named as a defendant. In total, 18 women ended up joining the suit. The lawsuit came around the time that the Duggar family was under intense public scrutiny for sexual abuse that occurred in their own family, and the Duggars were big IBLP people. In fact, you could consider them the organization's 19 poster kids and counting. So that brings us to the Duggars. So we've already explained who the Duggars are. Um, for those of you who don't know, they were famous for their reality TV show on TLC, 19 Kids and Counting, um, which features their lives of an evangelical Christian couple with 19 children. Their mother is a woman who was born by the name of Michelle Ruark. Michelle used to be the cheerleader next door. She dated boys, wore skirts. She talks a lot about this and how she mowed the lawn in a bikini. Just sinful. But that all changed when she had a religious conversion in high school. And that's when she met the patriarch of the family, a man named Jim Bob Duggar. Jim Bob grew up poor. He was raised as a missionary Baptist. One day when he was a teenager, his church drove Jim Bob and his friend to a seminar. This turned out to be a seminar given by none other than Bill Gothard. And IBLP is how he first met Michelle. Jim, Bob, and Michelle married when he was 19 and she was 17. Michelle gave birth to her and Jim, Bob's first child, Josh Duggar, who we'll be talking more about, on March 3rd, 1988. From there, Michelle got back on birth control, but she became pregnant again. And this pregnancy resulted in a miscarriage. This is something they talk a lot about. They believed that birth control was the cause of the miscarriage. So they decided to forgo using birth control altogether. She got pregnant and gave birth to twins, Jana and John David, in 1990. Then she had Jill, Jessa, and then a dozen more kids, all with J names, which Janelle has kindly shouted out for us earlier. <laughs> 
Michelle embodies that this sort of platonic ideal for what a good quiverful wife is, a soft, feminine, sickly sweet voice, curly-haired, modest, God-fearing, and subservient to her husband at all times. That and willing to be able to have as many children as God will allow her to have. Both Michelle and Jim Bob's parents didn't agree with them having so many kids. The family didn't have the money, the time, the space for all of them. But this family was the quiverful movement in action. Nothing would stop them from having baby after baby as God had apparently intended. The children were subjected to a lot of parentification. The older kids essentially raised the younger kids via a buddy system. Once the older kids reached a certain age, around 10 years old or so, they were assigned a younger sibling buddy. The older buddy had to help entertain, discipline, and care for the younger one. That meant that the girls, even at age 11, had to take on the responsibility of caring for babies. The Duggar method of discipline was a reflection of IBLP teachings on authority and obedience. Michelle Blanket trained the kids in line with the methods in To Train Up a Child. If the kids misbehaved, Jim, Bob, and Michelle would call them into a separate room for, quote-unquote, encouragement. This was code for physical discipline. Relatives would often hear the parents ask their kids if they needed encouragement, and suddenly their misbehavior would stop. Bill Gothard was a frequent and favorite guest at the Duggar household. The Duggars were the poster child for IBLP. Good, God-fearing, successful, and a very large family. And soon, IBLP's ideas would earn a national stage through the Duggar family. From 1999 to 2003, Jim Bob served as Arkansas State House Representative, but in 2002, he decided not Insane. to run for re-election. Instead, he was going to run in the Republican primary for the U.S. Senate. His family served as PR, a show of his commitment to good old-fashioned Christian values. On election day, Michelle and the kids accompanied Jim Bob to the polls. News cameras snapped pictures of the odd scene. The state senator was parading through town with his wife and a dozen-plus children, all wearing matching red and white outfits. The New York Times ran a photo of them the next day. Jim Bob ended up losing his Senate bid, but that image would end up winning him the attention he desired. Parents Magazine ran a profile of the family, and when Discovery Health saw it, they reached out to the family. Back then, Discovery Health ran a lot of educational medical documentaries, but the channel morphed into the sort of television freak show we now know today as TLC or The Learning Channel. This is a network that brought you 90 Day Fiance, My Strange Addiction, Honey Boo Boo, John and Kate Plus 8, <laughs> and My 600 Pound Life. The network wanted to create a one-hour special on the Duggars. It would be a way for Jim Bob not only to evangelize the country, but make money doing it too. In 2004, the TLC special, 14 Kids and Pregnant Again, aired. The first special was successful, so the network made several more with the family as Michelle had three more kids. The network funded the completion of the Duggars' new home in Taunton, Arkansas, as part of the special 16 children moving in. The success of the specials landed the Duggars their own show in 2008, the show 17 Kids and Counting launched on TLC. And the show chronicled the everyday life of the Duggar family, including their religious beliefs, of course. Cameras followed them around from everything from grocery shopping to laundry day to weddings and births. Viewers even watched the Duggars use wisdom booklets and appear at IBLP and ATI conferences. The show was a huge success and cash cow, both for the network and for the family, but even as adults, the kids saw none of the profits. Sadly, really, really common. However, legislation is starting to move in a decent direction. There's finally been some movement in that area, but that's a topic for another day. Anyway, Jill Duggar has come forward to say that she worked for seven years of her adult life on the show and didn't see a single dime. 
The women were the biggest draw for the show, of course. They essentially became the main economic engine of the family. But this was an IBLP family where the father was the authority. So Jim Bob controlled the money and what he said goes. As Michelle had more kids, the name of the show changed from 17, 18, finally 19 kids and counting. And after caring and giving birth to 19 human beings and putting her life in significant jeopardy, Michelle became pregnant again. This was likely music to the ears of the TLC producers and God too, or whatever. But tragically, Michelle's pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And this would not be the last tragedy that their family faced. Now, we're going to take a stomach-churning look at the scandals and crime of the eldest Duggar, Josh. Josh Duggar married Anna Keller on September 26th, 2008, and they have seven kids, and they all have M names. So their courtship played out on the show, and so did their engagement. Do you remember, like, watching all that? Oh, you know? yeah, because he was the oldest one, the first one to have a courtship. It was a big fucking deal. Really? Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm. So after the birth of his second child, Josh became involved with FRC, Family Research Council, which is the ultra-conservative lobbying group that is opposed to abortion, gay rights, secularism, and the supposed rise of immorality in the United States. He was clearly aiming for a career in politics. As you see, Josh was part of the Christian homeschool movement's project known as the Joshua Generation. And in a way, this was basically their plan for world domination. IBLP pushed families to raise as many morally pure, politically active Christian kids as possible. This way, these kids could grow up and take over every part of America's government and ensure the country would become a truly Christian nation. These kids would be presidents, mayors, judges, legislators, and politicians of all sorts. U.S. Representative Madison Cawthorn was one of these Joshua Generation kids. He made it pretty far. U.S. Congress, in fact. But his career was derailed by, you guessed it, a sexual misconduct scandal. Josh Duggar was supposed to be a successful Joshua Generation kid, too. He was the darling of the Christian ultra-right. He preached and preached on camera about Christian morals and family values. But behind the scenes, he was not just a hypocrite, but a monster. In 2015, a massive scandal broke when it was revealed that Josh had molested multiple young girls in 2002 and 2003, most of the victims being his own sisters, including one sister who was just five years old when she was victimized. The news broke after someone anonymously sent police reports of the incidents to In Touch magazine. The incident was heavily downplayed by the Duggar family. They went into full-on damage control mode. The girls who'd been victimized were essentially made responsible for cleaning up the scandal. That included the infamous interview that Jill and Jessa did with Megan Kelly. Here's a couple clips from that interview. What, how old were you? Let me start with you, Jill. How old were you when Josh inappropriately touched you? I was 12. 12. And how about you? I guess I was uh, 9 or 10. Okay. And you are going on the record as being two of Josh's victims. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the victim of, of a molestation? Well, I think in the case of what Josh did, um, it was very wrong. I'm not going to justify anything that he did or say it was okay, not permissible. But um, I do want to speak up in his defense against people who are calling him a child molester or a pedophile or a rapist and people are saying I'm like that is so overboard and a lie really I mean people get mad at me for saying that but I'm like 
I can say this, you know, I was one of the victims, so I can speak out and I can say this and, and set the record straight here. Like in Josh's case, he was a boy, young boy in puberty and a little too curious about girls. And that got him into some trouble and he made some bad choices. Um, but really the extent of it was mild, inappropriate touching, um, on fully clothed victims. Um, most of it while girls were sleeping. We didn't even know about it until he went and confessed it to my parents and Neither they shared it with us. No, none of, none of the victims were aware of what happened until Joshua confessed. And then it wasn't like we were keeping a secret afraid or something. It was, we didn't know until Josh explained to my parents what his thought process was, what everything was. How did you learn about it? I mean, did, you, did your parents sit you my, down at a meeting? Or my what parents happened? took us aside individually mm-hmm. and they said, here's what's happened. happened. Did you get the chance to express that anger to him? Did you, did you fight? No. no. I think for us, our situation is so different than most girls in that he was, he's very subtle in the way, like he knew in his mind my actions are wrong and I have bad intentions, but he was very sly. Like the girls didn't catch on, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, if he catches a girl sleeping, you know, like a quick feel or whatever. And, or like, you know, if you're just not really aware, you know, in the situations that happened when the girls were awake, it was like, they weren't aware of what was happening. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was very subtle. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for us, it's like, okay, we realize this is serious, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it wasn't like, a horror story or like this terrible thing where we're like, Oh my goodness. We're like, In this interview, Jill says that she didn't know until Josh confessed and her parents told her, but this wasn't the truth. Jill had actually woken up and punched Josh while he was assaulting her. And that's how she found out. She was the one who told her parents, not Josh. This info came out during Josh's trial. It's very disturbing when you realize that this young woman was coached into lying on national television by her own parents about her older brother who is now a convicted pedophile, molesting her. That's what I think was the most shocking and most upsetting part of, uh, well, there's a lot, but one of the most upsetting parts of all of this was how the parents just did not care for their child at all. No. Just just trying to protect themselves, ultimately. Keep the cash flowing, keep the reputation going. So fucked. And the line they were fed was that Josh was just, quote, too curious about girls, and it was just a quick feel. He molested their Jim and Bob Michelle's five-year-old daughter, and they enabled his abuse, which is absolutely horrifying. These two people instilled a terrifying fear of eternal damnation in their children from the earliest age possible. They raised their kids in a cult that promised to keep them out of trouble, and they did it all in the name of God. What's ironic about all of that is if there is a hell, these two are certainly going to burn in hell for all eternity after doing that. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. I mean, it says in the Bible, right? Uh, you know, I, I can't pull out the specific verses, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it says that you shouldn't molest children and that if you yeah, enable, enable your son to molest your five-year-old daughter, yeah. five, mm-hmm. that, yeah, you're, I'm sorry, you're going downstairs. Like, that's so yeah. just beyond, like. It's evil. It's it's evil. It's mm-hmm. very yeah. evil. Mm-hmm. If anyone deserves to go to hell, it's certainly these motherfuckers. So obviously they were the, you know, poster family for IBLP and for good Christian conservative family values, but now they're just, I mean, total hypocrites across the board doing the exact opposite, promoting a very dangerous and abusive form of parenting. Josh had been molesting his sister since he was 12. 
Jim, Bob, and Michelle say they found out about this in 2002. And instead of taking him to the authorities, or at the very least, a counselor, they disciplined him themselves. But the abuse continued, of course. Jim, Bob, and Michelle learned of the additional abuse and victims in March of 2003. Even though Josh had confessed to the molestations, the family waited another 16 months before doing anything. The Duggars eventually dealt with the abuse by sending Josh to a treatment center. And this treatment center was really an IBLP camp in Little Rock, where Josh did manual labor for Bill Gothard. The story Michelle gave to others was that Josh was ministering and building homes down in Little Rock out of the goodness of his Christian heart. And that's exactly what they were going to tell TLC before filming the first special. Despite the fact that Josh was literally molesting his sisters, Jim Bob decided not to ditch the TLC show. Of course, why not? Instead, he simply checked Josh out of the treatment program and placed him back in the house. And then he invited cameras in as if he thought he could get away with it. But Jim Holt, a family friend who found out about the abuse, couldn't just sit back and watch that happen. He made Jim Bob and Josh go with him to the state trooper's office to turn himself in. And Jim Holt didn't know this at the time, but the state trooper, Joseph Hutchins, was actually a good friend of Jim Bob's. Josh confessed to what Jim Holt thought was everything that he had done, and the state trooper told Josh that he would let him go. But if this happened again, he would come down hard on him. And that was that. The scandal stayed buried for an entire decade. Josh Hutchins is now serving 56 years of possession of child pornography, by the way. So in the wake of the scandal, 19 Kids and Counting was canceled on July 16th, 2015. The show Counting On was created that year, and it focused on the Duggar women and their families. On August 20th, 2015, another Josh scandal came to light when it was revealed that he was using sites like OkCupid and Ashley Madison, which, if you didn't know, is a site for married people trying to have an affair. Josh even paid almost $1,000 for the guaranteed affair package. Wild. Side note, the female user base of Ashley Madison was composed almost entirely of escorts, sugar babies, and bots as well. Josh issued a public apology and admitted that he had been unfaithful to his wife and developed an addiction to pornography. And Anna stayed with him. In a lot of ways, I feel... It's hard. I I have, I mean, Anna's just so like brainwashed, but she, I mean, she stuck, stuck with him through all of this and he's still around is, was able for a long time to be around their children. And but it's, this is it's why, like mind melting to think how you could get to that point. That's why it's so dangerous. These teachings though, because they're teaching women to be submissive no matter what, and to mm-hmm. never leave your husband, never disobey. So even in when your kids are in danger mm-hmm. and you're potentially also in danger, doesn't matter. Well, they think it's worse in the eyes of God to leave. And that's what's so sad. It's like you'd rather let your kids be molested potentially by your own by their own fucking father than yep. leave because you're terrified of going to hell. Imagine making that parenting decision. I mean, yeah, that's kind of where the empathy stops with me for her. Yeah. yeah. I do understand like it's nuanced. Like, yes, the brain But she's not for stupid. Sure. Like it's No, like, I know. I know. I I don't I don't care what it is. Like your husband, the father of your children is a child. Yeah. Predator. Like, no, I agree with you, Julia. They You're should right. never fucking see him ever again. Like, I mean, no. that's a decision that you just, you have to make. You have to make. To protect your children. Yeah. Her children should come first at this point. Before anything And else. protect them. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I'm just saying it's like, 
after years and years of brainwashing, it's sad yeah. to see someone get to that point Absolutely. where they don't see the line. Yeah. You know? It's um, fucked up. Yeah. Certainly no excuse for it. Right. But, you know, she's, it's, it's just so fucked. But things then got a lot worse. In a disturbing turn of events on April 29, 2021, Josh Duggar was arrested and charged with possession of child sexual abuse materials. He was convicted and sentenced to 12 years in prison. And those materials are, we won't even go over what, what they actually were, but they're truly terrifying. They are horrific. Like the worst of the worst that you can possibly imagine. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it just speaks to how demented Josh is yeah. and how far gone Truly, he is. Yeah. At Josh's trial, Jim Bob was very uncooperative. He answered a lot of questions with, I don't recall, even when talking about the sexual abuse of his own daughters. Fucking evil. Evil. He just told the court, oh, I don't remember the details. Michelle wrote a letter to the judge asking for a lighter sentence for Josh. It was her wish that he be, quote, reunited with his wife and family in a timely manner. She also wrote that Josh, quote, has a tender heart and he is compassionate toward others. Fucking sicko. Yeah, what? Anna wrote a similar letter asking for leniency. And to this day, she and Josh are still married. Despite the rumors, it does not appear that she intends to divorce him even after his conviction. The two have seven children together, and four of these kids will still be minors when he is released. Any visits he has with them will have to be supervised, and he can't live in the same home as them. At least those, you know, that's in place because she would probably allow him to. People are just so beyond evil, it's hard to even wrap your mind around it. I think it's really like just so, you know, we've talked a lot about hypocrisy, but it's like, this is so rife within like the conservative yeah. Christian community, like, you know, all these sex abuse scandals. And it's like, what are we going to bitch about? Like, oh, pronouns and yeah. mm-hmm. the pride section at Target and yep. I don't know, yep. green M&Ms and drag queens. Because, yep. you know, drag queens are are grooming our children, not mm-hmm. not our faith leaders who have been caught time and time again yep. doing yep. this kind of thing. like. It's just so the hypocrisy so is just mm-hmm. off the charts. It's it's that's truly the issue. Well, two of the or one of the Duggar daughters has a like a YouTube channel, correct? Mm-hmm. And is that still do. active? Joanna does. I don't know. Uh, I think a few of them I too. Saw clips she vlogs like all the time though. Oh my god! Because she has like a uh, a few kids now of her own. Well, she, I mean, she has some horrid takes too. Things that she just hateful. And I'm focusing on everything else, but. Shit in your own family's closets. Fucking unreal. But anyway, um, Counting On was canceled after Josh's arrest. Jill and Ginger Duggar have since spoken out about the abuse that they've endured growing up and into their adulthood. And they both are no longer on good terms with their family. We wish them the best. Can't even imagine the trauma that they have been through. Like we mentioned, after the scandals, IBLP moved to Big Sandy, Texas, leaving the former headquarters in Hinsdale and Oak Brook unoccupied. The city of Hinsdale has plans to redevelop it into a senior care facility. ATI closed enrollment in 2021, but their wisdom books are still available for purchase online, in case you want to wise up. In 2018, the lawsuit against IBLP and Bill Gothard was voluntarily dismissed by the plaintiffs. They said that they were not at all recanting their experiences and testimony due to multiple reasons, including the statute of limitations. They felt it was sadly best to dismiss the suit. On June 2nd, 2023, a four-part documentary came out that we've been talking about, Shiny Happy People. I highly recommend watching it, although... 
proceed with caution. It's it's pretty disturbing. Uh, it's available on Amazon Prime Video. The series details IBLP's history, the Duggars, and has testimony from former IBLP members who were victims of harassment and abuse. And their stories are definitely worth listening to. Bill Gothard is now 88 years old and still living in Hinsdale. He was recently asked what his thoughts were on the series by reporters from an o- a local news outlet, and here's his reaction. Hello, Mr. Gothard. Sorry to bother you. Um, we're local reporters from Patch, patch.com. Uh, Lorraine and David. I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. Well, I'm rejoicing, it's, it's too. rejoicing to see. I was just wondering, like... Um, you know, there was this big documentary. It was on Amazon Prime. Did you have any comment on that? Did you watch it? Did you watch it? Shiny, happy people about the Duggar family. Uh, documented? Well, they, they 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 just suggested that, you know, you left the, the Institute uh, and, and they suggested, you know, girls spoke about going into the Institute and they said that they were treated, they were harassed. And I was just wondering if you were worried about that, uh, you know, that girls were harassed under your reign. Uh, you know, you, on that, you you didn't do that, did you? Or well, I'd rather not um, get involved if that's okay. Okay, stupid bitch. Of course, I like their approach to that. Or were they being serious? No, I mean they were. Yeah, pl- trying to get him to talk. Yeah, yeah. I'm rejoicing because <laughs> I'm not in prison. He seems like totally out to lunch. Yeah, like, no, he's, he's just he's. Bye-bye. There at the end, yeah. Uh, Gretchen Wilkinson ended up having a falling out with her parents. She ended up being kicked out of IBLP headquarters after Bill lost interest in her, and life wasn't easy for a while. But today, she's happily married with two boys and a baby girl in heaven. She rediscovered her God and is healing from her years with IBLP. Rachel Frost now works as a fitness instructor in Minnesota. She is still a fearless champion for victims of abuse in the evangelical movement. Today, she's working on a documentary uh, featuring plaintiffs of the IBLP lawsuit, as well as a book about the group's reckoning. So, yeah, it's a whole lot to digest there. And that's just like scratching the surface. I mean, there's endless stuff that Mm -hmm. you can Mm -hmm. unpack with this. Yeah. If you look at Recovering Grace, there are a lot, a lot of stories, not only from uh, women that were personally, you know, victimized and abused and harassed by Bill Gothard, but also um, people who grew up in ATI were members of IBLP, former staff that all, you know, were really damaged by a lot of what happened in that group and in the teaching. So, you know, if you want to see those and really just kind of take yeah. a listen to those yeah. victim stories, um, they're all up there. Yeah, we'll have that um, linked below um, in our description on YouTube. Yeah, it's as recoveringgrace.org. Well as, um, it really does a, also a good breakdown, too, of how um, Bill really twists scripture and uses it erroneously. You know, yeah. I think it's important for people to know that if you are still, you know, you have belief in God and, you know, leaving IBLP so, yeah. is not leaving, leaving your faith. And grace mm-hmm. is a really beautiful thing. And... Mm-hmm. um it's not it's not checking off a list of well i'm I'm doing everything right, I'm not wearing blue jeans, I'm not uh listening to rock music. It's grace is knowing that you are a sinner, and that's okay because you know Jesus died for your sins, and God loves you anyway, and it's it's not a checklist and mm-hmm. and, and doing it legalistically. Grace is just really beautiful, and 
I think they do a really great job of explaining that on there and mm-hmm. providing a lot of scriptural context and stuff. So. Yeah, I can imagine it's really hard for those who still want to have their faith, still have a belief in God, um, but are trying to deconstruct the the harmful messages that they, that has been so ingrained in them and and try to find the line of how they can have that in a in a healthy way. Um, well, then you start realizing like when you're able to deconstruct from that you're able to look at the iblp organization and bill gothard from uh you know an outside perspective you start realizing like there's clearly a lot of other benefiting factors to doing the doing things the way that they did and creating all of these restrictions and everything i mean i think they said god iblp was bringing in like 90 million dollars or something like that like this this organization had tons and tons of money so obviously there was huge monetary gains to be made for those at the top and you know, the men that ran the organization, yeah. including Bill. And then obviously the power that is given to the men in that situation, you know. Right. And, you know, they abused it to no end. And none of that has anything to do with, you know, what the what the Bible teaches and, you know, the scriptures that, um, you know, especially the New Testament and, yeah, you know, the words of Jesus and, and, and all that. So it's it's a, you know, I can already see the the comments and you know hear the christians out there like this is just this is a horrible example of what what it means to be a christian you know what i mean this is this is an extremist sect of Mm -hmm. of christianity that is clear there's clearly you know they're doing it for the wrong reasons and they're and they're creating an environment where it's you know toxic and and abuse is rampant and that's not what it's all about Mm -hmm. and and it's unfortunate that you know, it casts a shadow on Christianity as a whole because, you know, it doesn't represent the majority. It represents the minority. So just want to put that out there that, you know, most Christians would never subscribe to any of the teachings of IBLP mm-hmm. and Bill yeah. Gothard. And I'm truly sorry to, to people out there who have been in these abusive uh, religious situations uh, or have had that bad experience. I can't imagine the trauma and how it would just kind of stay with you forever really um, well when you couple physical abuse emotional abuse with spiritual abuse mm-hmm. it's just like it's like a perfect storm yeah and it's a very difficult thing to recover from fully yeah. if you're ever able to recover from it fully yeah and you know i commend all those who have since left and been able to you know pick the pieces up and continue living happy and fulfilled lives. And and those who haven't, you know, haven't fully picked up those pieces or figured it out yet, you know, if yeah. you're just still trying to make your way through that journey, it's commendable as well, taking those steps. It's yeah, It's got to be so difficult. But that's going to be it for us today. We definitely want to hear your thoughts on everything that we talked about today. Uh, we will be back next week. But until then, keep on taking your mind a mile higher.